Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Hi guys, welcome to episode number 51 of Ace Comicals. Today we are here to talk to you about the latest Spider-Man movie to hit the cinema, this uh, little animated thing called Spider-Verse, Into the Spider-Verse. I guess you guys might have heard of it, I don't know, it's, it's not that big. Um, so today I am joined by my usual co-hosts that are Ray, hey dude. Leon, hello, and web swinging in to join us we have a special guest, Marv. Hi guys. Now, um, we've mentioned Marv before on the cast. He's a, a mutual friend of the three of us. Um, and I guess we know him through our shared interests and having attended conventions together and such like. And uh, Marv, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, well, uh, I'm a, a big fan of comics. Um, been an avid comic reader as a kid. Um, got into it uh, in a big way in the 90s. Kind of fell off a bit and uh, had a, a big sort of uh, renaissance but then, um, yeah, stopped for a while, and the podcast actually helped me get back into comics more recently. So thanks for that, guys. Wow, we have a fan. <laughs> yeah, the the podcast was all just an elaborate thing, purely just to get you back on the train. Yeah, that's Marv. that's it's all it was you. for. Yeah, the machinations of getting Marv back into comics. <laughs> long con intervention. Yeah, yeah, it was all the long game. <laughs> so Marv, welcome to Ace Comicals. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um. Obviously, the uh, the big order of the day today will be to discuss the new Into the Spider-Verse movie, which um, it's a really fun animated feature that is out of the cinemas at the moment for you to go and watch. But before we get into that, uh, I just want to go through what we've been doing since the previous recording, as is the usual um, kind of ritual with Ace Comicals now, where we just sort of like talk about everything but what we're meant to talk about until we get to a point where we have to talk about it. So... Um, Guys, what have we been up to between times, and who wants to kick us off with that? Nobody. That's cool. I'm looking at the calendar trying to think of what I've done, and like these these fortnights go by in a blur. Like apart from Spider Man, which I think was the thing that I was the most excited about over the last two weeks. Um, I don't know. I've had a bunch of Christmas parties. I've had like three work Christmas parties in a row. We had. Um, a launch party for a game at the company I work for. We did my department's um, Christmas party, which was we all went to play shuffleboard, which is like the most hipstery thing that could have been found to do in London for an hour, and then had some like kind of crappy pizzas from the same venue. But you know, that's um, that's saying something because there's places in London where you can pay twenty quid to have a nap. So. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? Yeah. Some I, I read something a, a long time ago about a, a, a well, I say a long time ago. I think it was earlier this year about a place in Shoreditch where you can pay twenty quid to sleep in a tent. Yeah, it's totally legit. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So we didn't do that. I think we played shuffleboard, which is kind of like it's bowling with a stick. But I love the terms in it because like the puck that you push around is called a biscuit. And the stick you use is called is called a tang. <laughs> so like pushing pushing your biscuits around with your tang is great. It was actually a lot of fun, and it's really good to do when you're a little bit tipsy because like I don't know. I feel like it's it's like bowling, but with less chance of crushing somebody with like a really heavy ball. Um, and then apart from that, we had our, our actual annual Christmas party, and that was fun. Loads of loads of really cool like yeah. R and B music. I was complaining to Marvin Leon about this the other day about how they played some really good '90s R and B, and nobody was dancing except for me. 
Um, so we're going to have to find like a 90s cheese R&B night to do one day before, I don't know, before New Year's mm. 2020. <laughs> like we'll, we'll find we'll find space in a year to do it. Um, when you talk about that, the, the game that you were playing, this this shuffleboard game, whatever it's called, it sounds like you <laughs> were actually... Shuffleboard? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, could... it sounds <laughs> like you were tricked into being an extra in um, basketball. <laughs> a basketball <laughs> remake it's it's that thing that you see on like uh cruise ships i believe like i don't know it was it was surprisingly fun i'm not gonna knock it too much it was it was a good way to kill an hour but yeah like as with anything london related it's it was very expensive for just what it was <laughs> but, yeah. but you know company paid for it it was all good yeah um i guess my i've been like because I'm I'm leaving the country over Christmas, so I've been like in the ramp up to that. I've been super busy and stretched super thin. Like um, the stuff I, I like, the, the amount of things I've managed to cram in. I, I've done my best Arnold Schwarzenegger jingle all the way impression and finished my Christmas shopping. I've um, had two Christmases already at this point of recording and have another one planned before I leave the country to go for the, <laughs> the final boss Christmas in Hungary. How <laughs> so, many secret families do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, right, I, I've had Christmas with my mum on Thursday. We went and had a roast dinner and exchanged gifts. My dad okay. came around Friday night and we exchanged gifts, so I had dad Christmas on Friday night. Okay. Um, on Tuesday night, it's traditional Christmas with the boys, uh, which usually happens on Christmas Eve, where I go to... I mean, even though we've all got our own places now, we still go to my mate's grandma's house and she lets us. Oh, and we, okay. we have, like, Christmas in her back room and we just buy her a bottle of sherry for letting us party there. And we just... We, we have, like, a massive game of Mario Party and get takeout and have a few drinks and exchange gifts. And it's been... We've been doing that for over 10 years now. <laughs> in the same place nice. yeah yeah we 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 have like these huge like 50 turn games of mario party and then crown a champion every year that doesn't um, sound nice no one's di- <laughs> no one's died yet so remarkably That's, yeah <laughs> no one's no one's there's you know there's never any violence or anything like that because this just how it goes oh and we have set characters we play as and if you try and play as someone else's character then like that's what starts the arguments not the stealing of stars and coins because that's just a given it's like if if i walked in and found someone else playing as luigi i would not be happy (laughs) luigi's mine but yeah so mario party and stuff and that happens tuesday night and then uh then me and Sophie fly out to go see her family over Christmas in Hungary, and then we're coming back here in time for New Year. So it's, it's busy. Busy, busy, busy. And in between that, I've managed to play a lot of Smash Bros. I've managed to um, read a fair few comics, as usual, because that's kind of what I do. That's like my off switch. And um, also, um, my mum got me for Christmas. You know the... Uh, the Batman animated series has recently been like remastered and re-released in a Blu-ray box set, like the whole thing. So mm. Batman, Batman Adventure, new Batman Adventures and stuff, like all of it together in one box set. And it's been remastered and remastered beautifully. And uh, I've watched a bit of that this morning and last night. And let me tell you, it's like watching it for the first time again. <laughs> 
like honestly it's so beautiful and so beautifully done like you just get a real sense of the kind of work that went into that show and the beauty of the animation is just like ah and um like i should explain that this is the 90s batman cartoon uh batman the animated series um which was like the paul dini and bruce tim cartoon which is which gave us harley quinn so yeah that's really cool and it's a really cool box set it's a really nice uh it, it looks like a book and then you open it and you flip through and there's like different blu-rays like each disc is on its own page kind of thing and it's just really really nicely presented and it's really great to watch and really nice to see it's so clean and so lovingly restored it's great yeah um, i'm gonna have to pick yeah. that up i want them to do animaniacs next yes <laughs> animaniacs would be so good give me an animaniacs one and uh bonus freakazoid disc with that please <laughs> yeah because that, that was like those were the like you know animaniacs freakazoid and batman uh so leon you've been up to much so, yeah, I wasn't on uh, the last episode, as avid listeners will recall. Um, so, yeah, in that time, I guess I've done a lot of stuff, but you know how work is. Like, your week just flies by really quickly. So in that time, I've been to more gigs than I had gone to last recording. So I'd seen um, with Rahul, I saw uh, Lauren Hill play the O2. Um and earlier this week, I saw um, Pusha T. And those are uh, quite uh, enjoyable gigs, quite interesting, um, like presentations of the, the songs. And yeah, just generally a good time. Um, I've also, last weekend, um, I was in Bristol and decided to watch the, um, the Dark Knight trilogy, um, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy again. Uh, I guess it's like a good time to do it with it being like 10 years since the Dark Knight. And as I've mentioned before on, on the cast, uh, the Dark Knight is, uh, up there, uh, as my like favorite, not just comic book or like not just superhero character, but like, uh, comic book like film and, uh, not to like dig into it or relitigate as we spoke about it earlier in the year. Um, but I think, um, what was really interesting on this watch um, was just how what I think is really effective about those movies um, is, and in more ways, like in, in different ways in each film, uh, but particularly in The Dark Knight, is that it manages to make itself quite a definitive cinematic portrayal without it having to be like the definitive portrayal because the way I look at it, it is like a really good adaptation in terms of bringing the comic into more or less the real world. And it, in, in many ways, it's not faithful to, to like the books um, that they adapt storylines, but it's trying to do its own thing. And I think that's what makes it most effective. And, um, that's what makes it like the classic it is without me having to say, oh, but I like this Joker and da, 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 da. Um, and I think, um, as we'll probably speak about more later, I think that is a great direction to go when adapting, um, properties with like so much history, like decades and decades and decades of, um, 
continuity and different writers and artists coming through. And I think uh, that move, that that trilogy of movies, set out to do something very um, particular and and nail them. So uh, yeah, that was fun, and I'd highly recommend people go back and revisit those. And also, as uh, Greg alluded to earlier, uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate came out on the Switch last Friday, and um, yeah, we've been we've been roasting it. Uh, I haven't been able to play it as much as I wanted to due to just various things, but uh, in playing it, it's, it's been really fun because um, the the Smash Brothers IP, like the first game on the N64, came out in the late '90s, so it's been near two decades of playing um, those games and. While they do update characters and obviously add new levels and uh, new mechanics and everything else, one of the things that's remarkable is that it does have this nice feeling when you start playing of, um, oh, yeah, I remember this place. I have vague memories of this. This feels familiar. It's slightly different, um, but it, but it's uh, it's home. Uh, and that's what I've been, uh, enjoying going back and, um, like, I've never been, uh, like the biggest, uh, Nintendo fanboy. Um, but Smash Brothers makes you one. Just like the level of love and care, um, and the devil in the details mm. in those games. And this one has the most details, um, like ever for any of the games. So, wow. um, yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, uh, sorry to interrupt you there as well, actually, because I've just interrupted you without wanting to. But um, what I find most interesting about this version of Smash Bros, this edition, is the fact that up until now, Smash Bros has been a celebration and a collection of other IPs and not an IP in its own right. And now mm. it kind of has its own mythology tied to it. Yeah. Which is uh, it's quite funny because um, we were speaking about this the other day. There's like a um, in the in the menus you can like play all the sound effects, but you can also play all the songs. Um, and for the, all the different IPs brought in, there's there's like um, songs in there. I think in total there's like n- near 800 songs. But I found myself not going to like the Zelda or Mario or uh, Mario Kart or even Fire Emblem tracks. Instead, I went to the Smash Brothers symbol. And was re-listening to the uh, the remixed and old versions of the menu music, and like it's so weird how uh, in that way it's become its own thing. And and uh, obviously now with the world of light mode um, and all the the various extras, um, it is uh, a thing unto itself, as well as being yeah. this uh, sort of jamboree of characters coming together. And it's like it's made itself its own thing whilst also still being a jamboree. Because when you go to World of Light mode, it looks like a Final Fantasy um, game cover. Yeah, and like the update thing. Yeah. The spirit thing and all that looks like the the sphere grid from Final Fantasy X. Yeah, and it's Mm. just so... But it's like it's its own thing now. And... I like it. It's a nice touch at how it tells its own story. Like Smash Bros. tells its own story via that mode and via like the way the game is set up. Because when you start the game, you only get the original characters that are playable in the Nintendo 64 game. And from then onwards, you will not the rest. 
So it kind of tells its own story of how Smash Bros. grew into what it is now. Is yeah. yeah. <laughs> the meta game. Yeah. <laughs> Marv, um, you want to give us a little bit of background about like kind of what kind of stuff you like doing in your spare time? Um, yeah, I mean, I am, well, I'm, a, I'm an avid gamer. Um, I've got a, a backlog that we don't speak about, but I try and play um, as much new stuff as I do, stuff that I have to catch up on. Um, but as much as I like doing that, I probably read books um, equally. Um, so I, I do sort of love finding new books, um, finding stuff that appeals to me because I, I, I like horror and sort of sci-fi fantasy um, more than anything else. But um, Leon has got me a couple of books that are sort of almost uh, not outside my comfort zone, but the sort of things that I wouldn't normally buy myself that I've ended up enjoying. Um so yeah, it would be uh, those things really. I've uh, recently gotten into um, buying and making models, uh, which I'm hoping won't become an obsession. Uh, I got myself a, a Metal Gear Rex figure. I've had an Anubis figure from uh, Zone of the Enders for ages, and very recently I got myself um, Giver and Giver Free from the Giver animated, uh, well, anime. Nice. Um, and a Final Form Sora as well. So they're all sort of taking pride of place. Nice. Uh, yeah, modeling modeling is an expensive expensive obsession. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know from the days. I mean, like I've dabbled. I used to buy Gundam kits occasionally. Like when I went to conventions, I used to come away with a Gundam kit, like as a thing, and then go home and build it. But yeah, they're expensive. <laughs> I've recently started stocking them at my local Forbidden Planet, um, and I'm reminded about how expensive they are because, like, just looking at the prices on them, it's just scary but yeah <laughs> um it's a it's a cool thing to do to sit and build a model and there's a sense of achievement at the end when you've done it oh definitely yeah oh and um in in regards to um because all three of you have sort of um spoken about things that you've either gotten back into or rewatched recently with uh obviously with yourself in the animated series leon going back and uh um, watching the Dark Knight trilogy and uh, even with Rahul talking about Smash Brothers and how the law sort of uh, becomes its own thing. Um, I've been spending a lot of time because I've been working a lot, um, but in the in the in between parts, I've been trying to sort of get all my Christmas presents wrapped before the big day. And um, I tried to get a huge swath of them done at once and put um, v for Vendetta on because um, I bought the movie and the graphic novel, having read them and watched them already, um, but not owned them. So I rewatched V for Vendetta for the first time in ages and I uh, was sort of struck by how um, it still has the power to move me, even though I've watched it so many times before. Um, it's weird watching it in 2018 and sort of seeing how relevant the themes that it brings up become more and more as each year passes. Um, you know, some of the montages that you have with the people that have been persecuted, with the way that the government's sort of cracking down on things. And this probably refers more to America than to uh, us here in the UK, but it's sort of uh, one of those scary uh, uh, cautionary tales um, that sort of really does have a resonance. It, it brought a tear to my eye uh, by the end of it. And uh, rewatched Watchmen as well on the same day and uh, sort of had a renewed appreciation for how faithful the sort of panel to screen work that um, Zack Snyder did on that movie was, even though it's, you know, it's not a perfect movie, but it's a, it's a very, a very good comic book movie visually. Definitely. I'd mm. say that. Definitely. Speaking of comic book movies, I <laughs> guess it's time we got onto the main event, the main subject of this podcast, which was the Spider-Man 
uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie that has recently hit cinemas. And um, we've all been out to watch it and we've come here to review it for you. And it's quite a thing, isn't it? It's quite a movie. Definitely, definitely. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad at all, no. It's okay. It's a, it's a good sit. Yes, it's a good yeah. a good way to kill a couple of hours. It's a good sit down. I mean, you saw it in um, 4DX or whatever it's called, didn't you, Leon? So I guess you could talk about that soon. Yes, you, you'll yeah. you'll hear the trials and tribulations of my ordeal. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this off with um, our individual cinema experiences, which seems to be a thing on this podcast as well. If you've heard us talk <laughs> about movies before, we like to complain about other people watching films. So um, I'll kick us off by saying that I went yesterday morning at like five past eleven to like the first viewing, um, and I got there and I, I, you know, like I was the first, I must have been the first person to buy a ticket because I got there and they offered me like the seats and I had, could choose any seat and I was like, oh okay, so I picked my seat dead smack in the middle, right in front, you know, like right dead center and everything. Um. Went and got my my drink, and I went in the I went into the into the, uh, the 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 screen, and I sat down, and there was no one else in there. And for like a brief ten minutes, I thought I'm going to be the only person in here. This is great. I'm going to have the whole screen to myself. How wrong I was. Um. So like, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it's a film. It, it, this 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 film it's it's an animated feature it's aimed at children right uh, or in some ways it's aimed at children and um families started to come in as the trailers were going and things like that and uh, i mean the screen didn't fill up completely but by the time the film started there was a lot of kids in there and um there was some i mean like i mean you know, they were all enjoying it and everything else and, and they were all very well behaved. But there was probably a couple of kids in there that were probably too young because they couldn't sit still. And even though, you know, the parents were like pleading with them to try and be quiet and they just wouldn't be quiet. They were like shouting in the middle of the film and things like that. And they just wouldn't like, wouldn't adhere to cinema rules or etiquette, which I can understand because it's, you know, a long time to sit still even for me as an adult, and these kids must have been younger than five. And I just, you know, I don't think it was a good idea to, to for, for anyone to have brought them into that really, because I don't think any, any kid under five would have really appreciated or understood the film anyway, in places. I think it's, it's probably a little bit too much for someone, for a kid that age. I don't know about you guys, but also the fact that they, you know, it, it kind of spoiled it for everyone else because these kids were just like, running around in the cinema screen and things and just wouldn't like the parents were like trying to tell you know trying to keep them under control and it just wasn't working too well 11 a.m on a saturday is my worst nightmare and you lived it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I kind of feel like this is on you for picking the time of day and time of the week yeah parents take their kids to see movies which is fair enough because like either you do either you this this do this in the morning or you go in the evening and you're surrounded by douchebag adults so like you you can't win anyway great well, yeah. you're gonna have or, a story to tell regardless or teenagers which i have less sympathy for uh, completely less sympathy for i hate <laughs> going into cinema screens full of teenagers if you're 15 don't go and watch a film don't <laughs> 
But, <laughs> but, but of course, if you are 15, please do continue to listen to yeah, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. It's a free, it's a free country. I'm not, I'm not generally Simo Rahul with his strict cinema rules. <laughs> <laughs> Even I wouldn't go this far. People are allowed to see movies. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't do it when I want to see movies. That's all yeah, I want yeah. <laughs> Fifteen-year-olds aren't in the cinema. Then then the queue in Fortnite waiting for the next match. Let's yeah. <laughs> watching the film on their little phone. In between, like they've downloaded a ver- like a, a cam of it, and they're watching it on their like Samsung phone screen while they're waiting for the match to start on Fortnite. <laughs> ten, ten minute bursts of movie. Yeah, <laughs> that is too dis- real. That's disgusting. I've got your number, Gen you Z. That? I've got your number. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, but yeah, that that was my cinema experience. So it was great, apart from the fact that I think those kids were probably a little bit too young to be in that film, and thus started acting up halfway through. And that's not their fault, but you know, kind of spoiled it for a lot of other people that were in there. I think because there was, the, you know, like for for those two kids, there was like, a, a, a you know, every you know, like all these like well-behaved kids in there, and other people like you know, people for like all ages in there, like wanting to watch the film, like other adults and such forth. So, but yeah, it was it was great. Other than that, it was a good cinema experience. Mm. Um, how did you get on at the cinema? Ray? What was what was it like for you? Well, my first experience was seeing it with Leona Marv. Like, we all went together. That was our first time all watching the movie, right? You guys didn't see it before that, did you? No, no, that was my first time as well. Yeah, like, I, I don't think there was anything of note at that screening. I think we all, we got very good seats. It was a, quite a respectable audience. There were some people who came in quite late behind us, if I don't... Oh, God, yeah, yeah. They uh, And they uh, had no qualms about kneeing the seats as they were trying to walk past everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, like there five was... minutes into the into the movie starting, right? Which there... is like, thankfully it was behind us, and they weren't blocking the screen in front of us. Yeah, true, true. There, there was that uh, um, hilarious moment where there's um, an emotional and poignant scene happening in the movie, and everything goes quiet, and someone right behind us drops like a full bag of popcorn. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> like if the characters on screen had dropped whatever they were holding, the person behind us dropped their entire bag of popcorn. It was, yeah. it was really funny. There was a, a, a woman sat next to me who. I'm pretty sure was there just because her boyfriend wanted to be there. And she looked miserable. She looked really grumpy. She was talking to him throughout the entire thing. Luckily, it was one of those movies where it's loud enough, impactful enough, and like there's something always going on that I was more distracted by the screen than the people talking nearby me. And they weren't... It wasn't a constant thing. But like, even even you were saying, the people behind us, if they were doing slight banter or like making a little bit of noise behind us i think the film was engaging enough that you could actually ignore the 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 crap happening in the in the screen around you yeah Yeah, it's it's the kind of movie where um and i mean ourselves included you know there's funny stuff happening all the time or exciting stuff happening and so you know the odd whoa or you know everyone laughing (laughs) together is part of the cinema experience rather than it being people chatting or looking on their phones and completely detracting from the movie Mm. Yeah, because there was a moment where you did it, and like, <laughs> generally, Simo Rahul would have been really mad at you because you turned over to me and said, "Did you see it?" And I was like, "What? Did you see it? Did you see the? Did you see the suit?" I was like, "Yes, I saw the suit, Marvin. Now watch." <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew that, like, of of the three of us that were sitting there, you had played the game um, as recently as I had, so I was like, "Oh my god, did anyone else notice? It's the one from the PS4 game." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I noticed, Marvin. I noticed. It makes me very happy that you did. 
<laughs> did you see it? Did you, how could I miss it? I'm sat in a dark room with a massive screen in front of me. <laughs> the logo's white, Marvin. Of course I saw it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So like was this 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 uh this this woman who was like really didn't want to be there was she like berating him for his film choice the whole time or what <laughs> I think she just looked really grumpy like when I sat down next to her and she just I don't know she had an air of like I'm enduring this but I'm going to be vocal about how much I'm enduring this because I'm going to use it as like a trump card later in our relationship it genuinely felt like that I could feel that heat coming off them where he, oh. I, I'm I'm kind of annoyed that I wasn't sat next to him because he looked like he was really into it. But I had to be sat next to the lady who was, I don't know, just mm. outward about her you know, disdain for being brought into this. Do you know what I'm finding as kind of like a general rule when you like ask people about this film? Hmm. People that get really excited about other Marvel films and the MCU and Marvel properties and things like that hmm. are kind of like point blank not wanting to watch this. I got a semi-sense of that, I think, because I know people who are huge into the MCU, like the, the live-action ones. Yeah. And they were, like, so-so on this. You mentioned this and, and like, they just go, uh... No, because I've had a conversation with somebody, yeah. like, I, I was at the hairdresser the other day, and he's like, oh, is that meant to be good? It's a cartoon, right? And I was like, it depends on how your initial feelings are towards animated movies yeah. in general, I guess. And I think there is a stigma about a lot of animated movies are either super raunchy or they're super childish and like even the stuff that is kind of has i don't know kind of grown-up themes or whatever like it's not a pixar movie where it's trying to tell an adult story using i don't know child-friendly aesthetics or i don't know i feel like this fits into a weird place and especially because the aesthetics are so different to what you expect and it, because yeah. it's so it wears its comic book origins on its sleeves so readily i think that can put off a lot of people who would normally be okay with watching you know the pixar or dreamworks movies of the day but bristle at the idea that there's something that's like trying to translate comic to screen like panel to screen as marvin mm. said yeah it's a shame but i think people will be pleasantly yeah. surprised if they it's, give it a chance it's weird that like yeah like i said these people will, will go and watch comic book movies and things and they'll be well into the mcu and everything else and they'll go and watch things like toy story and things like that but all of a sudden this is a cartoon and that's what's putting them off yeah not necessarily but, i think some yeah. of it comes down to marketing and how mm. like the mcu has done over a decade's worth of like building goodwill and making yeah. you know making geek cool again I don't know. I feel like mm. this this appeals to a different sensibility, especially yeah. in the marketing. Like, because yeah, I, I, this is probably a good place to start. Like, how did you feel about the trailer when that first came out a year ago? I was, you know, I was I was on board with that. I liked it. <laughs> I was I was on board with all of that. Like, um, you know, like the, the the whole lead up to this, the trailer and everything else. I was excited to see it and to see what they were doing with Spider Man. Mm. You know, like, how about you, Marv? When 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 did you first see the trailer? Um, I mean, I, I remember seeing like the teaser, teaser, teaser trailer when it first came out. Um, mm. I think it might even have been one of uh, either you or Leon who linked it to me um, and getting really excited about it because, um, I mean, as I'll go into later in the conversation, I um, had always been interested in, you know, Miles Morales as a character, um, his run on Spider-Man and had never really gotten into it. So to see that he was getting his own movie, uh, you know, that's kind of how the first teaser se uh, seemed. It seemed like the Miles Morales movie featuring other Spider-Men. Mm. Um 
really excited me. So I was I was really um, sort of happy to see that. Um, and it's a good trailer, you know, the music that they use for that trailer and the later ones as well. Um, yeah, it was really engaging. It's just a shame that, you know, up until sort of what felt like two weeks before the movie, you didn't really see it much anywhere. You know, it wasn't being pushed. It's only like just before the movie was released that you started to see it come up on sort of YouTube ads and, mm. you know, recommendations on IMDb and stuff like that. Mm. Um, Leon, sort of like when, what, what was it like your sort of like, when you first started hearing whispers of this film and whatever, like how, how did you feel about that? Yeah. So this goes back a bit. So when, um, not long after homecoming was uh, announced and all that, all those deals went through and we're like, yay, Spider-Man's in the MCU. At the same time, uh, Sony, uh, announced that they were doing like an animated Spider-Man. And I was like, okay, that's, that'll be interesting. I I, I wonder, uh, what they're going to do. And then, I think not long after it was announced that um, Lord and Miller were producing it. And so, obviously, uh, I'm a big fan of these guys. Uh, 21, 22 Jump Street, Lego Movie. Um, they're they're uh, past for racing to like, TV animation, um, the Meatball films. Like, I'm a big fan of these guys because I feel they have the... Not even the mildest touch, because touch, it, it's stronger than the Midas Touch, because the Midas Touch uh, just turns stuff to gold. They are able to pick up, like, possible turd ideas and then turn those into diamonds. <laughs> uh, so, like, um, I, I was immediately excited, and then not long after that, it was confirmed that this is not the story about Peter Parker. This is going to be about Miles Morales, and I was like, okay, this is on the radar. This is definitely on the radar. Um <laughs> Uh, I look forward to hearing more about it. And then obviously the summer happened that year. We had those three Marvel movies, we had homecoming and it was nice to see Peter Parker back on my screen, uh, especially in, 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 um, in high school uh, and in, in a, uh, in a Queens that looks like Queens. So, so all that was really, really cool. And then um, like in uh, December, I think it was the 9th of December, the, uh, the first like teaser trailer drops uh, last year. Hmm. And, I remember being blown away because I was like, uh, one, it, it uses this, uh, parts of this Vince Staples track called Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that melody begins, it, it's, it almost, it's like, it pulls you into this world effectively. Um, uh, and then just the visuals were like stuff I'd never seen. And come on, like, we're, we're media culture people. We've, I've seen a lot of different stuff. Like, uh, I've seen a lot of different, like, short experimental, like, animations and stuff and everything. But the animation style for this and the way it was cutting back, uh, with, like, frames of comic book and it was just so colorful and, and vibrant and, uh, kinetic. I mean, these are all cliche words, but that, that's what was displayed in that first teaser trailer. And I remember just watching it thinking, like, okay. And it, at the time it said, like, Christmas 2018. And then I think a few weeks later, they announced the actual date. And then we have like, this is some inside baseball for this, for, uh, <laughs> uh, we have like a Google calendar between us called releases. And, um, I think it was late December, early January that the actual date came up and I immediately sipped all the way to December and added, <laughs> uh, added it to the releases calendar. And I was like, okay. And we wait. Um, but it was weird because I think like, the regular places like your slash films and your sort of general movie places were sharing it about, but there wasn't that much talking about it 
at all in either until the second like actual trailer, which is the one that dropped uh, in June on the, on the sixth of June earlier this year. Uh, I feel I feel like that's when it was in the zeitgeist and everybody was like, "Whoa, what is this? I want to see this. I want to see this. I want to see this." And it was good timing as well because it had dropped like after uh, Infinity War. Um, so, uh, so people had to deal with the way that movie ends, and then suddenly it's like, boom! We've got this like fun-looking, uh, like fun-looking like trailer, and it, it's completely different from everything else we've seen before. And um, so like, uh, yeah, like, I think like I've just been riding on a on on and off a year's worth of hype of this movie. So um, it's it was scary because. In the last couple of weeks, when the reviews embargo lifted, yeah. and it was universally being praised, I was like, "Oh no, I'm scared now," because often when it's universal praise, uh, I'm not like a contrary or anything, but every now and again it'll be like, "It's not going to touch me in the same way." Is it? It's not going to touch me in the same way. I- I'm not going to feel what everyone else is feeling, and I was scared. Um, and uh, like, luckily going into it. Uh, my uh, fears were um, avoided. Yeah, I, I remember you. I remember going into the calendar to try and put that on the releases thing as well, and being like slightly annoyed, but also pleasantly surprised that you'd got there before me. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and the thing about the the June trailer, like, it takes a lot for me to like. I'll, I I like rewatching trailers, like when the the Last Jedi one came out, and like all these other really amazing trailers. I watch them over and over again, but it takes a lot for me to go through them frame by frame. And I did that a lot with the Into the Spider-Verse trailer because there's so many things where it's like there's a splash of colour on impacts or there's like, um, I don't know, just the way that he... I don't know, there's, there's the bright, vibrant colours and like every single frame is a fucking masterpiece in that trailer. And then that expands out into the entire film as well. Like, I just can't believe how much effort and energy and artistry went into like every single frame. It's beautiful. And I, that trailer got me so hyped for this film. Yeah, I think that's that's where my initial hype started to actually like take hold and like get a proper foot in was that first trailer. Hmm. And also knowing that it was going to be not another Peter Parker story. <laughs> yeah. Because I you know, like so many Peter Parker stories now. So many films about Peter Parker. I mean, um and and getting a a story that was going to be about Miles Morales, who is, I think, should be probably the main Spider-Man now. I think I think we should probably like start to push Peter Parker. I mean, yes, Peter Parker is is the, the you know the first Spider-Man. Will always be Spider-Man to a lot of people. I think I think Peter Parker should be starting to take a backseat more and more, which I think this movie kind of handles nicely. But but and I'll get onto that later. But like he should be like. We should be starting to to give the limelight to other characters now, and I think I think that's what this film. Th- that's that's this the point this film was trying to make as well, which I really liked. And yeah, it was it was just cool just to 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 know that that was coming up and everything else. So going into it, I think we were all excited for the fact that this wasn't going to be another Peter Parker story. And um, yeah, it was it was just something else. When I actually got to the cinema and watched it, like it was just so. I don't I don't know how to put it into words. <laughs> well, shall we start actually talking about yeah. non-spoilery movies? Like, yeah. should we go into the movie now? 
because one of the things I wanted to yeah. just delineate between the spoiler section and the non-spoiler section is let's talk about things in the non-spoiler section that are clear from the trailer. So the fact that there are it, it's beyond just Peter Parker and Miles Morales. There are other Spider People. There are other mm. Spideys in this movie. Is it? Let's let's talk about that as though it's not a spoiler. Yeah. Because one of the things I wanted to bring up, and if I if it's okay for me to like dive right in, unless anyone yeah. has any other preamble they want to they want to bring up. Um. Well, I mean, before we go too deep into the movie, um, mm. I just kind of got, uh, was going to talk about sort of my history with, with Spider Man before, um, sort of Spider Verse, and uh, a little bit about. Um, sort of the, co- the kind of comics that I used to read. Yeah, yes, Marv. The, the, the main reason you're here. <laughs> <laughs> the fact you're a Spider-Man fan, so go for it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, again, um, I've, I've caught up with the cod, uh, the podcast uh, recently, <laughs> sort of uh, blitzed through uh, a few, a fair few episodes because I didn't have the chance before. Um, and it's funny listening to all of you talk about your history with comics and the kind of comics that you read and um, sort of the themes that run through the kind of comics that you read. Because, um, you know, I hear a lot of myself in it. You know, I, I kind of, throughout the episodes, have sort of seen a theme whereby, um, you know, Rahul's comics will sort of more or less, you know, and there's exceptions to every rule, obviously. I'm not pigeonholing anyone. Um, Rahul will deal with sort of mental health and emotional well-being in a lot of the comics that he talks about. Um, Leon tends to talk about sort of social issues and intersectionality. And um, Greg is, uh, well, Eldridge Horror and Heavy Metal album covers. <laughs> Shit, he's on to us. <laughs> But um, a lot of where you guys started with comics mirrors a lot of uh, where I did because, um, you know, as a kid, I had two main entry points to comics. Um, the first was um, Sonic the Comic because um, I came into comics from Sonic as a game, um, started buying Sonic the Comic. And that sort of I think it's a good or was because obviously not you can't really do it now, but it was a good launching point into buying comics, um, you know, week by week, following storylines, and then having a main storyline that branches off into sort of side characters and sort of having issues that were dealing with side characters and stuff like that. So that sort of prepped me for when I got into sort of Batman, Spider-Man, things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ace, the Ace Comicals origin comic has just been retconned because we've got another another Sonic comic to add to it, another another fan of Sonic the comic. <laughs> Yeah, it's the, it's the nexus of all things. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> one day we're gonna one day we're gonna have to do a show about it. <laughs> that will require us having to reread Sonic the Comic, and I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, I I think I've got enough stories just from memory. I mean, I, I remember um, like me and Leon being kids because um, I, I know we mentioned that we all knew each other beforehand, but um, I'm actually Leon's cousin. Um, so you know, from way back when we were kids. Wait, what? What? <laughs> did, did they not tell you? Bombshell. This is the non-spoiler section, Mark. Yeah, that was that was like that's like the full page splash at the end. So that's the end of Ace Comicals episode fifty-one. You're gonna have to. Wait. <laughs> was that supposed to be the cliffhanger? Yeah. <laughs> but no, um, we used to be sort of at each other's houses all the time, and uh, we would miss issues, and so we would like. I remember, I always remember Leon had. Uh, I think it was issue eight of Sonic the Comic where it goes back and tells you his origin when he was brown and uh, Dr. Robotnik was Dr. Kintoba before the accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a treadmill explosion that turned him into Dr. Robotnik and Sonic got his blue spikes. But um, yeah, it was the first comic that I ever um, actively like mailed in to get back issues for and things like that. So I, I properly dived into the um, oh, what's the minutiae of, of buying and collecting comics through Sonic the Comic. 
Um, but the other sort of entry point was uh, the cartoons. So, you know, Batman, the animated series, um, Spider-Man um, and the X-Men cartoons. Um, and while I was getting into those and sort of, um, like as you guys have said, they, they go into some of the more famous comic book arcs and do them in a way that is very well presented on screen. Um, my dad noticed that I was really getting into them. And so he gave me a bunch of his old comics and some of his newer ones as well, because th- that was during the 90s that I was watching those. And um, I remember while watching Batman the Animated Series, before it had even finished, he gave me all of Nightfall. So I, w- I read all of Nightfall and Night's End before they covered Bane in the Animated Series. Oh, um, He gave me what he had of the Phoenix Saga before I bought the trade paperback later on. Um and yeah, that, that was, that was when I started getting into sort of the big two, Marvel and DC. Cause, um, after that, I started to buy my own, uh, Spider-Man and Batman comics. Um, yeah. And I mean, after that, there was, that was the, the dry patch. Cause I had a big bunch of that and sort of gotten in, into what my dad gave me. Um, he gave me Batman Venom, which is where you get the origin of the, uh, the, uh, drug that Bane uses. Um, some Iron Fist comics from the seventies, some original, um, Iron Fist and, uh, Power Man comics. Um, but the next stage for me after a fair few years was when, um, Leon started getting into why the last man, um, uh, a hundred bullets and Scott Pilgrim, and he would sort of lend those to me and get me into that. So that was when I sort of picked up again, uh, got my second wind. And, um, I had tried to make my way through a lot of those, um, and some of the other things that you recommended to me. I bought myself the Max, um, and lent it to Leon at one point as well, because I, I really loved Liquid Television on MTV and Aeon Flux, the Max, the Head. Um, and, and it's only recently, because again, I dipped off again, that, um, I listened to the podcast and sort of got myself a Comicsology account and, uh, sort of caught up on the backlog of all the things that you guys have recommended, as well as a lot of things that I hadn't finished from back then. So that's that's sort of that in a nutshell. And that brings us up to present day where you're a massive Spider-Man fan now again. And you've been reading in... a lot of Spider-Man books. Oh, yes. <laughs> in preparation for this episode. <laughs> um, which I'm actually intimidated by because I didn't read anything before going into this movie. Like, <laughs> I didn't do any background at all. I just went straight in. And I, this is like knowing what I know from osmosis and having read Spider-Man comics and things like that, like going into this, like knowing about certain characters from that appear in the show. Cause I mean, we already know, like, like Ray has mentioned before, like it's not a spoiler. There are other Spider-Man characters in this film, other spiders from other alternate realities and other comics and things like that presented in a way. And, um, like, knowing who these characters are and about them just via osmosis and just from being a comics fan that was like what i knew going in but marv did some extensive research <laughs> yeah I, I kind of sort of picked and uh, picked and chose uh, what i wanted to read before um because uh, the, the three books that i really sort of dived into in preparation for the movie were um, spider-man noir um the first run because i know there's a, a sequel run that they did but i haven't gotten around to reading that yet um the ultimate comics um spider-man run uh which deals with sort of miles morales's uh origin story and introduction um and the spider-verse um event as well i read the uh, trade pa- trade paperback of spider-verse and i really loved all of them and i mean the reasons that i have to pick in those is because i've sort of i mean i've always been intrigued by the idea of miles morales because um, i know you had that whole sort of um 
expl- I won't say explosion of sort of diverse characters because that makes it sound like the people that say, oh, there's too much diversity. But, um, you know, when you had sort of Ironheart coming up in Iron Man and Lady Thor and everything, I, I was really intrigued with the idea of, you know, um, a half uh, black, half Latino Spider-Man. Um, and it kind of spoke to me. And I know that there was sort of all that talk of uh, Donald Glover playing him when, you know, he was still at, at an age and uh, look where he could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wanted to read that for years beforehand, and then the movie gave me uh, mm. sort of a kick up the butt to do it. Um, but also playing the the PS4 game and absolutely adoring that game. One of my favorite suits from that game is the noir suit. It's one of the first ones that you unlock, and I used it through most of the game, especially all the stealth missions. Yeah. So um, when I saw the trailer that shows that Spider-Man Noir is going to be in the movie, I was like, well, I have to read the comic before that. Mm. And then, um, you know, Spider-Verse is kind of self-explanatory. I just wanted to see what the event was like before i saw the so guys are we able to give like a kind of short blurb about this movie and synopsis if you will without spoiling it does anyone want to have a go at that at giving us kind of like a a lowdown like the general beats of this film and what happens and what to expect well i know that um we could give sort of our impression on you know as we've kind of almost dipped into already sort of our impression of the art style you know the kind of sense of humor that the movie has and uh our impressions of what we thought um but in terms of sort of uh, the beats of the movie i think um like i know rahul's done it before for um infinity war um where you sort of give a, a, a mild breakdown of uh, sort of the main points of the movie without ruining anything before the spoiler section yeah, so don't, don't drop that. this on me i haven't done any preparation for it although <laughs> i can i can uh, i can read out the synopsis on tv tropes you've watched it twice help. i haven't that short yeah, I've only watched it once. <laughs> <laughs> i would step up but i don't have the uh... <laughs> yeah i can i can give the i can read out the synopsis that's on tv tropes for in, into the Spider-Verse, if that if that sounds good. Yeah, go a, ahead, go ahead. It's a Give good, us concise that. synopsis. Yep. So, the film features Miles Morales as Spider-Man, assuming the identity after the apparent death of Peter Parker in his universe. However, a mysterious super collider pulls an assortment of parallel Spider-People into his dimension, including a living version of Peter, who takes it upon himself to show Miles the ropes of being a superhero as they all try to return home. Uh, the story serves as a loose adaptation of the Spider-Man and Spider-Verse storylines, and it's the first Spider-Man movie to be animated. Cool. Thanks, yes. TV Tropes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, TV Tropes. Heroes that you are. <laughs> so, I mean, like, the main the main thing about, that, that I think this film does really well, like, just getting into general discussion of the movie without trying trying really hard not to spoiler it is um the fact that the way that it adapts those spider-man stories and comics without um without just just straight up using them in a way that uh previous animated series that we've mentioned on this on this show and that marva's mentioned and things like that today have also been able to do that. So in the way that the Batman animated series adapts arcs of Batman and character introductions and origin stories for villains, and but in its own right gives them give gives has its own mythology. I guess that's what this film does very well in the way that it has adapted the comics and brought Mars Morales in and given us a um an overview of who Miles is and, and, you know, like, given us in Miles' origin, I guess, 
without straight up taking panel the comics panel. And, yeah panel for panel trying to put the comics on the screen mm. and in doing so has has created its own thing its own mythology which i really liked yeah i had the same sort of thought because uh one thought that i had after the movie was that it had done pretty much what the mcu tends to do with um like some of the bigger stories that is handled because i was the comparison that i had in my mind because i have read spider-verse and there's like hundreds of different spider-men from hundreds of different um you know marvel universes in the comic um you know the fact that they've narrowed it down to is it's five isn't it a five total in the movie mm. um the fact that they've done that is the same sort of thing um uh, depending on who you talk to for better or worse that marvel did with civil war where you know you read the civil war civil war comic and you know it's the x-men it's fantastic for everyone's involved in the fight everyone picks a side whereas you know in civil war you know you look at the airport scene and it's like what 10 12 heroes fighting yeah but because it serves the narrative of a movie to not have a hundred people, especially people who haven't been introduced before, all suddenly appearing on screen. It really streamlines it and gives you the the heart of the story and the beats of the comic without getting tied up in the minutiae of it. Yeah, and, and, and this, is, this is the genius of like Lord and Miller, because they're not only doing the condensing of the comic book storylines, but also what the audience has come to expect from Spider-Man movies and like superhero movies in general. Cause I, I really love how, how well-written like the opening lines of this movie are where it's Peter Parker saying, let's do this one last time. And we get this uh, comic book themed um, like summarization of all the things that that particular Spider-Man as Peter Parker went through. So because, and as an audience, we've seen Spider-Man's origin story so yeah. many times. So the fact that it says, let's do this one last time, as as though like alluding to the fact that we've seen that you know a hundred times before but then also when you get to watch the rest of the movie you realize it's become its own structure for introducing yeah. each new spider-man as well like it condenses peter parker storyline that we've all that we've seen before tying it to the like sam raimi films or maybe not tying but at least alluding to or like making fun reference to um and yeah and just introducing this repeated structure that is a really deft way of like summarizing who each new spider person is where they've come from and what they can do mm. it's genius writing yeah it's um it's really nice how it does that and doesn't treat you like an idiot like because a, a lot of these you know like um it, it it doesn't treat you like an idiot in the way that it, it goes through the whole origin has to tell you who spider-man is over again the movie is aware self-aware and 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 knows that that is public knowledge now like everyone knows Mm. that that spider-man was bitten by a radioactive spider and his uncle died and that's what made him want to be a superhero you know everyone knows that in well that's the tldr like a really really bad tldr but that's the tldr everyone knows that now that's public knowledge there's no need to go over that again so you know they just give you kind of like a short beat of who spider-man is um and that and that's where the movie begins and it's it's really good how it does that how it doesn't it doesn't treat you like a complete idiot <laughs> going into it and and it doesn't like because the the audience the audience like even even you know the, the, like i say there's just the general public knowledge everyone knows what's you know like let's forget that part we know that we know his uncle died we know this happened we know that happened we know but who these also... characters are <laughs> mm. but there's also a bit of like so you say respect for the audience, but also yeah. respect for not only the old stories, but for the new stories. Because yeah. like everyone, everyone loves the old Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Everyone loves Peter Parker. It's cool. We need to, you know, we can stop going on about that. Part of this movie is passing the torch onto yeah. not just Miles, but all these other Spideys as well. Yeah. And like, it's very respectful of 
of that like you can have all this reverence for peter parker but let's you know we're here to, we're not here to talk about him in essence we're here to talk about these new guys yeah we're here to talk about miles yeah so it, let's do this one last time I, yeah i think that's great it's it's a celebration of what spider-man means to different people and how there truly is a comic for everyone because when you look mm. at these different characters like each of these different spider-men and women that turn up in this film like uh, gwen stacy for example spider gwen and 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 so forth it's it's just perfect for displaying that and for display like this is this is the torch passing to a new generation of of comic fans and this is a, a, a modern spider-man story for today's world and today's comic fans and and this is what you know this is this is what it is the passing of the torch from peter parker to the next generation of heroes that people will look up to and aspire to which is these these various other spider people that turn up in this new film uh, from various different universes and and like the various universes you know the, the again the way they do that the way they display it and each one has their own thing there truly is a comic for everyone and that's what i like the most about it is the fact that it's it going into it you know like that that is like our dogma comics are for everyone right our our kind of like motto and everything else so going into that thinking like that and and you know wanting people to think it just it truly displays that and i love that about it like as a celebration of comics and the fact comics are for everyone and the fact that kids will watch this and and have something that they can latch on to and everyone has something they can identify with in this film i think is a really cool thing about this yeah i'd agree with that yeah i would echo um a lot a lot of those statements i mean uh, as like a general sort of rundown of what um, what I uh, took from this and what what I enjoyed, uh, it, it's 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 hard to find a place to start. But um, I think the best place to start is the animation. <clears throat> um, I think the uh, the animation um, manages to thread the needle so well on loads of different styles. Um, a, while also creating its own unique style to begin with, while also at the same time uh, not banging you over the head uh, with all these different styles, mm. um, and how how they managed to to get all this stuff to work together is uh, like mind boggling to me. So like the the if you've watched the trailers, the general animation style is. Um, it has this great look of obviously being 3D animation, but it has a lot of the, uh, the styles, the shading, uh, the linings of like 2D, uh, animation and, uh, particularly 2D art that you'd find in a comic. You have like co- color bleeding, especially in the, like the backgrounds, which is, uh, mm. reminiscent of, uh, uh, like the printing process and the, the color, color bleeding you'd get in physical comics. Um, and also stuff like uh, Ben Day dots. Uh, so like if you're familiar with like pop art and uh, mm. the the various uh, sort of uh, color imprints you'd get on that, uh, you have that as sort of a filter going throughout the film, but it doesn't bombard you. But when it pops up, it, it I don't know, it works. Usually a, a, a confluence of so many different styles ends up pushing you out of the film because it would make it so like, oh, I'm aware this is postmodern and there's so many things coming out and I'm being made aware of that I'm watching a film. But instead, all of this, all of this stuff serves effectively to pull you into the film um, and um, 
everyone and their mum who has said anything about this movie has said what I'm about to say, but it's very true. It is likely the the most uh, genuine representation of like uh, a comic book on the screen, mm. uh, hands down. And I'm not just talking about like stuff that's also in the trailers, like uh, text bubbles popping up and uh, things like that. Just the general feel of everything. You feel you're in this world. We're pulled into this world like some of the characters in the movie. And I think that really starts to take you on this, uh, this roller coaster and, uh, like just the way they, uh, like there's so much more for me to go into spoilers, but just the way like certain characters, the, the characters from the, from the different, uh, different dimensions, um, they all have their unique style and it's consistent throughout. And they're in loads of scenes together, but it never jars. It always gels really well. Um, and, um, even just the general motion of it, where like, uh, I think, I think they go between, uh, animating, uh, on twos, which is, uh, every other frame, but also animating on ones, which is every frame. And I think you get that cool sort of, uh, not like sort of clay animation effect sometimes where, there's a sort of uh, an, an artful cadence to the movement. And then when it ramps up to action, uh, it switches um, like effortlessly. And um, yeah, it the, the way it all comes together is what uh, knocks me out of the park. Like there, there's frames here and there uh, that would, that just cut to like, uh, like a, a bright uh, like comic book panel. Um, and it's done so well, like, like, uh, Rahul's talking about the, um, uh, at the beginning, we have that, uh, P- uh, Peter saying, like, this is, uh, let's go through this one more time. And the way that's represented with, like, a comic book and just going through all these bits, it's done so well. Um, I, I, there's, I can't stop talking about the animation, but <laughs> it's one of those things where just inherent to what it is, it has to be, to be seen, to be believed. And I, I don't think it's overstating it too much to 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 praise um, what's what's being done here with the animation. Yeah, the praise for me though is like you talk about it not not hammering you on the head about it being postmodern and like not taking you out of the fact that oh look I'm watching a movie. They show a lot of restraint. Like they have all these options open to represent something in a comic book way. That you know they could use this comic book format. They could use all this paneling. They could use this bold lettering. And all of that, but they show so much restraint. Like this, I noticed, uh, and I don't think this is a spoiler. I noticed one instance where they used a scene transition in the form of like a page turning. They used yeah. that once in the entire movie. Like they could have littered the movie with that kind of stuff to make it more quote unquote comic booky. Well, they, yeah, you know, and I think that shows a lot of that shows so much integrity and like maturity on how to tell that story from this medium. Yeah, definitely. Because like, I mean, a, a counterpoint, not counterpoint. Uh, uh, a, a comparison to that, uh, which we've mentioned uh, offcast, um, is Ang Lee's uh, Hulk movie, hmm. um, where where that uh, Ang Lee is like ramping it up in the avid, uh, trying to make this as comic as possible, and it's just really distracting when the camera zooms out and we see all these panels. It doesn't feel endearing or charming. It just feels like too much. It just, and it hmm. and the main thing, it didn't feel authentic. Yeah. Um... You, you took um, words out of my mouth because one of the things that I wanted to say 
in terms of them using different art styles and uh, like you were saying, different effects really effectively to, to double up on words um, is that they managed to maintain consistency. Like even though you have all these different styles, all these different effects, all these different things that they do to sort of, um, you know, TMCR um, bring the comic to life. Um, it, it didn't feel like you were just being sort of dragged from one thing to another. It was very, very consistent. And every time something new happened that they did to go give those effects, you're sort of like, oh, yeah, rather than being like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that now. I can see the filmmaking process. It's just like, mm. this is the movie, and it's taking me for a, a ride. It's really, really well done. Yeah, uh, a, an animated roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. No, it's... um, I I especially enjoyed the fact that it actually looks like a comic. Like it, in places, it truly does look like a comic, and and the way they've managed to translate that to screen, like down to like the points where there is actually like paneling and things like that, it just looks really cool. <laughs> um, and the way that they've incorporated that into, and each the way that each um, I mean I don't know if this is a spoiler, but <laughs> I I hope it's not. But where each character. Um, has their own style in their own universe before being brought yeah. into the main universe. Yeah, they each have their own like different color scheme and yeah. like slightly different, um, I don't know, like shading or grading effects. Mm. Like yeah. there's all these different things, and like yeah. Leon was saying, they they because there's enough going on and it's held back enough that it all kind of fits together instead of looking like. They've been cut and pasted from yeah. lots of different places and then splatted onto one, I don't know, outside universe. I, I think yeah. it all does run together nicely. And it, it's fun in the same way it's fun to see different takes on a diff- on a character from different artists and writers. Mm. And then, um, I think yeah. I think a lot of that is to do with um, how well they realised Miles' world because Miles' world ends up yeah. being our baseline. Mm. And if the baseline mm. was too flat or too realistic then having the other art styles for the other Spider-Man that, and, and Spider-Woman that come into it uh, would would be really jarring. But because Miles' world um, is sort of a nice, I don't want to say like in-between as if it's watered down, but a nice in-between um, to say, you know, Peter Parker's world, um, you know, Spider-Man Noir's world, uh, even Spider-Ham's world, uh, when they are all together or when they are flitting between those characters' art styles, it works well because the background palette that they've been put onto isn't too jarring in comparison to their individual styles. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Um, and I think if I had to have one criticism of the animation style, it would be the fact that in places there is like a fuzz or an, a lack of focus hmm. where, you know, where it yeah. kind of, I know it's doing it on purpose because that's what the film, where it unfocuses, but that was messing with my head a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was al- almost like uh, some of the backgrounds. It was almost like watching a 3D movie without the glasses. Yes. Yeah, yes. with the red, blue. Yeah. D- Disparate thing. And I, I know mm. what they're doing. They're doing the thing where if you look close enough at an old printed comic, you can see the separate colours. But like, mm. it just for me, like it just messed with my head a little bit when I was watching it, and it just mm. it just felt like I had to clean my glasses all the time or something, or like maybe <laughs> you know maybe maybe my eyes are worse than I thought they were or something like that. It's just yeah, <laughs> that was the, my I've one had, criticism. I've heard that criticism come up a lot, and I think most people do preface it with like. I think they temper that because it's like I know what they were going for, but it just made my head hurt a little. Like, yeah, 
that's that's come up on Twitter a lot. I've noticed in the last week. Yeah, mm. and it does it does make your head hurt because it's what the world looks like when you've got a migraine. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's like everything being just slightly blurry is my entire life, so I didn't yeah. mind it on screen that much. Like it didn't bother me. <laughs> But yeah, that that that's that's got to be my one criticism of the animation. But I think otherwise, it's just like I mean, even the cat. Like I guess we can get onto character designs now. Um, like spoiler-free character design discussion. But like it's the character designs and and the way they um they portray certain villains in this film and things like that, and the way they portray some of the other spiders and things is just really really cool. And I, I just how like different the character designs are and how they lean into certain aspects of certain characters very well mm. instead of instead of having like a, a kind of like a template and just like punching cookies kind of thing it's like they kind of like they they lean into the quirks of these characters in a in a kind of like a way that they, like almost like they are caricatures of cartoon characters if that makes mm. sense so a caricature of a caricature and it just yeah, it's it just very knowing that yeah way, isn't it? yeah and it just looks so cool yeah I, i'd agree with that i think the uh especially if we're looking at the if we're starting on like miles um i think uh the character design team and the animation team um do a really good job um like adapting uh Sarah Pacelli, one of the co-creators of um, Mars Morales and all the the other um artists who have covered uh Miles since then um as well as um influences pulled in from various people who've worked on it so on Twitter I saw um I believe it was Sanford Green had um, done some um some sketches um some capture like concept sketches and uh, a lot of some of that stuff on the page is in the, in, in the film. So it's really cool that uh, all these different influences have pulled in, but yeah, with, with miles, uh, I think his general look, cause in from what I know of miles from the book, he generally has quite like sh- a short sort of uh, like ball fade going on. And, uh, mm. and in, in the movie, he's got this great head of hair uh, that is, uh, I mean, me and Marvel speaking about this uh, straight off the film, like the way it's animated and the way it reacts to surfaces and everything like that is just so cool to see, like 4A or 4B uh, here uh, animated, like well. <laughs> it's it's uh, so crazy because, like the the like you know you you see individual strands of hair and like you know when uh, Gwen takes her 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 mask off and you see her hair, you're really blown away by it. But the way that you have his like little kinky afro um react to like you said surfaces and there's a scene where he leans against um a surface a surface and the way that his hair pushes against it itself is animated so well. The attention to detail is incredible. Yeah, and like. Bit, things like that. I mean, his general look with his like, uh, Chicago Air Jordans and the jacket and the hoodie and all, all that stuff, all the stuff that's in the posters and the trailers, it just looks so good. Um, it, uh, I don't know. I think they, they do a really good job because there's a lot, uh, and a part of this I'll speak, speak about more when I'm talking about how they handle the story, but there's a lot resting on how well, uh, the main character does, especially being for most people, 
uh, a fresh new Spider-Man. Um, and I think in, in design and voice acting and writing and, and just uh, everything else they sort of bring to that character, I think it, uh, is so effective and works so well that it echoes out to, um, uh, all the other characters and, um, all the other, um, things going on in the film. And, um, yeah, I just think like, as we were mentioning before and the different styles, I, I love the way how uh, people like Penny Parker, like is 3D, but is 2D, but it, it works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And has all these like anime tropes, as you would have seen. Um, and it, and it just, it, it fits so well in, into the universe. Uh, you've got like a spider noir and um, it's not just uh, like a grayscale character. Like there's, there's like certain animation things that are only happening to that character. Um, and, uh, uh as Ruff was saying, the way, uh, the, the grading and, and the shading is, it's, it's done so well. Like in ways, just in the characters alone, they've created like multiple movies worth of like, uh, animation and art, uh, character design. It, it, it is remarkable. And like the way how, like, uh, as you're saying, Greg, um, the, uh, like the villains, uh, who I won't go into detail here, but the way that the villains are portrayed, it's not like what you've seen before. It's not like, oh, this is a, this is a pitch perfect adaptation of this artist's work. But what it is, it's, uh, a couple spoonfuls of this, a couple spoons of, of this, and yeah. then it, it, it's, uh, it's taken inspiration from all these different areas to create something like fresh. And I, I think everything just has a really cool look, and they uh, they don't really need to just go into it. They just because the mm. art uh, and the designs work so well on their own, you just like boom, uh, yeah. I, I get what this is putting out, and I'm down for it. I think I think we can close out by saying that's like a general um, theme throughout the design of the film, where it's not so much pitch perfect adaptations of people's work, more or less a spoonful of everything that that mm. character has been. In its run up to this movie, for I well, think I... pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, can, before we before we close off on character design, can I add a couple more points that I have? Yeah, to, go ahead, uh, go ahead. Here? So like Leon talking about um, Miles's hair, and like it reminded me of I don't know if any of you have played Uncharted Four. I know Marvin has, um, but there's a character in it called Nadine Ross who has like really thick, dark, uh, like curly hair, mm. and like seeing the way that her hair was animated in that game. And, like, you could tell how much love and attention had gone into it. And you realize you don't see that very often in video games because it's so easy to portray, like, flat, shiny, smooth, you know, like, either, uh, like, light or brunette hair. But seeing, like, this dark, thick, curly hair, which I can relate to, I don't know, that that means something that you can see that portrayed on screen. And I think that's that meant a lot from Miles as well. Like, it's, like, when was the last time you saw that kind of haircut and that kind of hair itself? represented in an animated movie and to have it look like not realistic would be the right word but like the way that the light reflects off it and the way that it reacts and that it it acts the hair acts differently than like the flowing smooth hair that was um praised when the incredibles came out for example like Mm. it's it's so impressive and then a second thing i wanted to point out was um i saw a tweet by an artist that i follow on twitter called Brittany myers um, I think it was a few days ago, so 13th of December, she tweeted about some generics that she worked on for Into the Spider-Verse, so all the, the background characters that are littered throughout New York City. And, like, you could just see how, how much attention they paid into putting 
like diverse street fashion into all of these characters and this like whole angular blocky but kind of I don't know, just very cool um aesthetic and I don't know I think it's worth looking it's worth looking that up her her name's Brittany Myers to see the kind of stuff that went into the non um protagonist characters or like just the background environmental people on the street characters it's really interesting mm yeah it is it is really cool to think about like and and to to see the amount of love and attention and work that's gone into realizing this and to to get things you know to represent things properly mm. and 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 to make an make an effort with that and everything else is really great i did enjoy that are we about ready to move on to spoilers i would say so uh <laughs> <laughs> Go on, I was going to ask you if you wanted to talk about music. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's there's a few more like production technical stuff that I'll just run off before we go to spoilers to yeah. not delay it too much. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think um, like as I was uh, talking about before in terms of the story, um, obviously we're going to go into this in more detail. But one of the things that I think is really good about this, I mean, animation as a as a craft has is usually about economical um, flow of information. Um, mm. A lot of the times these things are storyboarded more than they're scripted. Uh, I think in, now in modern times, they're scripted as much as they're storyboarded. But um, what I think is so well here is that this, this movie has to do so much. Um, it has to introduce uh uh, ostensibly a new character to the world it then has to introduce all these other characters it then has to uh deal with the idea of uh multiple um uh verses um it then has to deal with like uh various villains um and there's there's so much going on that it could have easily buckled under its own weight um and I think that a lot of praise needs to be put on um, the the people that shepherded this through. Um, so, like uh, Lord and Miller get uh, are like the sort of main producers uh, on there, and they sort of shepherded this to um, uh, they sort of birthed the, this movie in, in in a way, and have helped carry it along. But I think um, in particular, um, uh, Phil Lord. Uh, and uh, Rodney Ruffman's writing, I, I think, is so uh, it's so efficient in getting the, these things across. And it's not, uh, like I said, it's not surprising coming from uh, one half of uh, Lord and Miller. But like, I think it, it, a lot is, uh, should, could be said about how well they streamline and um, not simplify, but um, I, I don't know. Like, just com- comparing this to what I know and what I've read of uh some of these things in the actual books it's so much cleaner in this movie that i prefer the movie version of some of these origins um and that's kind of surprising when you think about it because a lot of time you lose so much detail in adaptations just by necessity but i think like in them streamlining in this way it's it's amazing how how um how well it works um and I, I think a, a, a lot of praise needs to go to uh, the three three directors: Bob uh, Percy Chetty, uh, Peter Ramsey, and uh, and uh, Rodney Ruffman again. And um, I think 
they managed to bring all these elements that I think are really good together. Um, I'll leave my praise of the cast until spoilers because <laughs> for time on this <laughs> end. But um, I think that the performances uh, that uh, are done uh, that we get are, are just so they're so. Um, they feel so true to the character, even on characters that we've only just been introduced to. And I think that is really well. Or even more so, characters that we've had decades of and different versions, they managed to make their versions of these characters their own. And I think that is just uh, so cool because uh, I think VO work is not really understood. A lot of people think people sit in a room for like an hour reading out lines, but... Uh, hmm. I think the the work work done here helps, uh, just as the script does, just as the the overall direction does, helps pull us through uh, this this journey. And like I, I've seen it twice, um, and um, even on the second time, I just didn't feel any drag whatsoever. I just felt pushed pulled through the story, but I didn't feel like it was just action to action to action, and we were skipping over character stuff. And the character stuff is super, super affecting and and, uh, and poignant. And I think all of that uh, uh, works really well to serve the, the, the greater narrative and the greater story, and uh, the audiences um, ride through that. Um, and I, I just think that's... I, it's something that is attempted in a lot of movies, but even stuff like the MCU, I don't feel they they nail that a lot of the time. They'll nail elements, but not every element. Um, so I, I think I think that's just remarkable in itself. I think the uh, Daniel Pemberton score is is really really cool. Um, it it manages to take elements of stay uh, Danny Elfman's scores from the the Sam Raimi movies, as well as because um, I think the Spider Man game does this well um i haven't got the composer's name to my head at the moment but i think that does a good job from what i've heard of pulling in these themes and having that uh the that metropolitan new york feel of like uh web slinging through buildings and uh portraying the drama of that and the the intensity of that and the, the pleasure uh and the freeing nature of that through sound but also having really good drama beats and i, I think that um Pemberton's work on this is super effective in uh, in that regard. I would also, I mean, I could go on forever, but I, I'll say last thing before spoilers that I'll say is that um, I think that a lot of the themes in this movie are super poignant. I think that they're handled really well. I don't think they are bashing you over the head with any particular thing, and they also don't feel trite or cliche, despite um, them being influenced from stuff from the very original Spider-Man uh, comics with uh, that uh, Lee and Ditko uh, were doing. But I just think that uh, it it's... It, just like the character that has endured through these decades, the... The film itself and its messages and themes managed to be as resonant and also as timeless as those. And I think that um, all the all these different elements together work to to give us a movie that works on multiple levels. And I think it works for multiple audiences. Um, 
that is, is quite, uh, in ways, quite intense for, like, I would say for younger, younger kids. Uh, but it manages to be one of those movies that has something for everyone, uh, mm. whether young kids, whether teenagers, uh, whether, like, millennials like us and even uh, Generation Xers. I think it just has something for everyone. And uh, to direction the script and all of that work in service to given this whole... Uh, this whole package that just feels really polished and really considered. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much my blurb. All in all, I, I would I would say that it is. Um, so overall, before we move on to spoilers, all in all, I'd say that it's a great representation of what Spider Man is and what Spider Man means to comic fans today, and um, a, a modern spider-man story for today's world and today's fans and hopefully to make some new fans like hopefully it will bring some new people on board and introduce the marvel world and the magic of marvel to some some you know unsuspecting kids that might in the same way that we had that from the spider-man cartoon in our youth and such it might be something that brings new kids new people on board which i i would really love i would really love for that to happen um and yeah it's just it's just a great film. I loved it. Mm. Definitely. And yeah, it's just, it's representative. As, as Leon laid out, it's representative of today's society and the fabric of that society and today's comic fans, which I, re- and you know, the youth of today and everything else, which I really enjoyed. It was really cool. Yeah. So I guess we're on to spoilers now. So, yes, uh, so if you've not already seen the film, this is where you stop listening. Um, once you've seen the film, come back and, uh, listen to the rest of our discussion next, which, uh, we're gonna be going into sort of like delving deeper into the film, and we're gonna be talking spoilers, so yeah. Uh, if you've not already seen it, stop listening now. So guys, spoiler section. Um, I want to kick this off by say by start the way that this movie handles the Miles Morales origin story, with the death of Peter Parker and the whole thing with the Green Goblin and everything else. Mm. I think well, that's I, yeah. I was going to say that's one thing that I was careful to talk about in the non-spoiler section is that the trailer introduces the concept of one Peter Parker, but we actually end up seeing two different Peter Parkers. We see Peter Parker, the 26-year-old, blonde, um, like, perfect version of Spider-Man portrayed by Chris Pine. And then he's quickly... uh, He is killed off in the opening conflict and replaced by Peter B. Parker, who is played by... uh, Forgotten his name. Does anybody have his Jake name Johnson? J- yeah, Jake, Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. And I love that they kept that reveal quite close to their chests yeah. in the trailer. As far as I remember, um, I thought that was a really nice touch. Like yeah. we get those two different versions of him. Like one who is the pristine, shining version who you know um, who died too young, and this other version who's going through a bit of a midlife crisis <laughs> and has been handling so many more like just yeah. different trials than we've seen i think I, before for peter parker i really like this version of spider-man i call him sad divorcee spider-man with doughbelly action but <laughs> I, really, I really i mean, like... those are literally just his adjectives yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i really like this version of spider-man because he he's like what I would imagine, like, because the amount of crap that Peter, the sheer amount, like, the the mudslide of poop that Peter Parker has waded through, 
like in the comics up to today from inception right i feel like this is what peter parker would really be like mm. like yeah, i feel i feel this is the broken the, the the broken man <laughs> that, that we would we would have in front of us if we were to meet peter parker this is this is like this is what peter parker would be like today <laughs> this kind of like tired old um he's just fed up and i'd be fed up too if half that stuff had happened to me you know well, because well, like Leon mentioned how it can, this film can serve so many different people. Like it can yeah. mean so many things to lots of different types of people. The fact that there is a version of Peter Parker who's like doughy, sad, divorced dad version, which is, you know, it must be a very relatable thing to a lot of people. That's yeah. not what I focused on at all in both of my viewings. I only really thought about it after I'd seen it for the second time because I was so focused on Miles's story. Like... There is this whole subset, uh, this whole subplot of how Peter B. Parker comes to deal with, you know, his loss and, um, you know, coming to terms with the fact that he needs love in his life and what it means for him to, uh, you know, embrace having children and all this and that. Like, that was kind of secondary to me after all the Miles stuff. So I don't know how you guys felt about all that. Yeah, I mean, having only seen it once, um, it, it did it did shine through to me a bit more um when i watched it uh, you know peter b parker's um sort of story arc but it is it's very it's played very subtly mm. it's not you know again i know we keep using this term throughout the whole uh, episode but it's not beating you over the head with it you yeah. know he comes in he's ultra jaded very dismissive of miles you know he it's seeded in that he didn't want kids and that's sort of what drove him and mj apart among other things but you have all these little moments where you know uh, when he's teaching Master Web Swing, and it's like, yeah, you're getting it, kid. You know, thwip it yeah. out. You know, and he's you know getting more and more into it. And then when you have the, I think it's the 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 conflict before the final conflict, um, or it might be the start of the final conflict. Sorry, where um, you know, Miles is handling his business, and and Peter B. Parker's sort of like, yeah, you're doing it. I'm so proud of you. I should have <laughs> kids. You know, <laughs> and then when have kids, and then he has to run off and do the next thing. <laughs> yeah, and then um, you know, just before everyone's sort of separating out, and they're deciding who has to stay behind he finally has that epiphany moment where it's like you can handle this everything's going to be okay i leave it to you i trust you yeah yeah and like i i think um so for me uh i found both of those storylines intertwined almost inseparably hmm. so as much as this was like the mile show for me which it very much is <laughs> peter v parker what i thought i was going to get from the from the trailers is that sort of like sad sack kind of like don't meet your heroes kind of mm. uh lame not quite as bad as uh spider-man rain <laughs> but uh <laughs> <this> was... <laughs> yeah, deep cut for you hardcore acers out there but, um, <laughs> like i thought we were going to get this sort of lame sort of like blah superheroing is blah 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 but despite the fact that he is older podgier sort of d- uh, divorced spider-man like He's still fucking Spider-Man. He's still mm. a, a good Spider-Man. He's, it's not like he's tripping over and whacking into stuff. He's super competent still. And that's what I really liked about it because uh, it, it, it ties into his, uh, the general thing of Spider-Man where, uh, and what the movie uh, uh, tells us where it's about getting up. It's about mm. getting up again. And he has that. And, and uh, there's so many scenes uh, later on where as he starts to sort of move more into um that mentor uh, slash father figure type uh, role, um, it never, it never feels like it just comes out of anywhere. And just because the story needs it to, it's like, yeah, da, da, da. it 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 seeded so well. Like when um, 
they flip their uh, Gwen, uh, Miles, and Peter go to Aunt May's, and they go down to the lab, and then they meet the they meet the others. There, where like they're they're all quizzing him, like, "Can you do this? Are you ready?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah!" Like he can go invisible, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but not on commander. And he's got the the, the venom uh, spike thing. It's like, uh, but 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 not on command. And it's and it's like, but he's still there cheerleading him. And at that point. They've only really done the the bit where they went to the Alchemax bit, uh, and he's teaching him how to the web sling. But just in those parts, like you have that bit in the vent where he's like, um, oh, yeah. uh, like uh, calling it out. Yeah, but where he's like, um, uh, nobody's ever on my side. It. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, he uses he phrases it in a way of like uh, like a work thing, and he's just like, usually on the job, like I'm not used to yeah having people on my side. And there you can sort of feel the beginning and. During the, that whole bit of the fight, and he's still coming out, and he's still like, "I got this, I got this," and he does kind of have it, and he's like, "Oh yeah," he's still jumping in and out, and he's just like, um, "Well, good news, you don't need this anymore, you don't need the monitor," and he tosses it, and like <laughs> that stuff there. I don't know, it's it's done so effectively, I think, because like it never his him being like slobby old Spider Man is like played for laughs, but it's never just a joke. It is tied into his character, um, like at a fundamental, uh, like DNA level, uh, so that when it, when we have that stuff, like when he, uh, sort of the, the MJ bread roll scene, uh, or him going in the lab and picking up the picture, it doesn't just feel like, well, here's the bit where we've got to remind us that it actually feels real. Yeah. So then when we have that payoff right at the end, where Mark, he's like, his whole thing is, I'm the hero, I'm going to stay behind, Miles isn't ready yet. And then Miles comes out, Cruz is ready, but he's still like, like, I've, uh, like, hey, I'm gonna try and do it. And then Miles is just like, he's holding it and he's just like, you gotta go home, man. Hmm. And like, that, that, that hit me a lot on the first time because yeah. you have the thing where they, they both there for each other in that really interesting way. So it's like, Peter gives Miles what he needs earlier where it's like, how will I know when I'm ready? Uh, where they're in his, um, his dorm room before they yeah. all leave. And, and he's like, you won't. And they all just go. Miles uh, has that scene with his father and the uh, the echoes of what Peter told him. So when he does the jump off the skyscraper, which I'll talk about more because that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie this year, um, like it feels so earned and real that by the, uh, normally that's just the moment you have the the father figures giving the character what they need and they do it. But the fact that that feeds into Miles then having his moment, giving Peter what he needs, telling it, telling him you can do it, da da da, you've got to go home, man, like. Ah, like a lot of movies just wouldn't handle that uh, so deftly. Like, there's no reason to kind of because he's not really the main character. But the fact that mm. they pay off pay off his storyline as part of that in such a uh, such such a clean uh, like finessed way, I, I just got a lot of love for. Mm. Yeah, it was handled very well because, like you said, you know, it's not necessarily his movie, but, you know, if Miles wasn't in this, you'd still have enough of Peter B. Parker to make a Spider-Man movie. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And then um, one one thing that I did like, I know you're going to get into the uh, skyscraper scene uh, later on, but the, the way that they lead up into that um, is done very – because it's done visually. It reminded me a lot of um, – in Night's End, when and, and again, this is, again, a deep cut uh, for anyone who hasn't read the comic, but – 
when uh, Bruce Wayne is sort of trying to come back as Batman and he's, um, you know, training under Lady Shiva and coming back to Gotham and all that stuff. There's multiple moments where in between everything that's happening, like everything will stop and it will cut to him, not in the Batsuit because he's not ready to wear the mantle yet, um, on top of a gargoyle. And it's the first gargoyle that he ever jumped off in his year one, um, holding a grapple, a grappling hook and a batarang. And he's poised to jump off and he's got this whole internal monologue. And then the last panel is him walking away wordlessly because he's just, he knows he's not ready yet and it leads up and it leads up and it leads up and then right near the end of the book when he's ready to come back to Gotham as Batman he's in the suit you don't see the lead up you see a panel a full page splash of him jumping off the gargoyle and the internal monologue is about how free he feels it's like riding a bike it's second nature he feels the blood pulsing through his veins blah 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 but it's just that lead up and payoff um to him being ready to make the leap is what I felt when I was watching Miles um, when he's, you know, running up the stairs to the skyscraper, it's too high. He runs yeah. into a two-story <laughs> building. He's still not ready. And yeah. then, like you said, he's in the costume. He jumps off the skyscraper. It's done visually without beating you over the head of, this is a training montage. Yeah. And, like, the whole sec, the other thing that, the, the other sort of, like, line running through the film, um, it is obviously, like, the other, the other Miles kind of the the thing, the Miles narrative is is like the 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 expectation thing, like what yeah. people expect of him and what people expect him to be, and you're not ready, to, you know, like. But he's 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 going to be his own Spider Man, and he he yeah. makes he make he becomes his own Spider Man, and he does that for himself, and like the even down to when he's customizing the suit in, you know, like the incredibly badass Aunt May's Spider Cave. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like with the spray paint i love that bit where he goes down there to make the suit and, and aunt may is just sat there like you know like she's basically alfred start? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Alf- alfred ed slash edna mode yeah <laughs> uh, that was really cool that was um the spider cave was a really cool bit for me like when they all yeah. get together in the spider cave below the shed and and peter b parker's like oh yeah i've got a shed full of spider gear we know what your shed full of spider gear looks like it's the one that we've probably seen in a comic or two some point where it's just like some because spider-man like he never has anything on that level does he ever yeah always uh, just like really kind of like cobbled together kind of like sad hiding place type thing it's basically becomes yeah as you as you allude to like the bat cave because as we go down i mean this is a movie stuff to the gills with stuff in the background and easter eggs and all that yeah. and one of the biggest bits of easter eggs we get is when we are in the uh, the spider cave and you've just got you've got it all you've got the 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 spider vehicles you've got all the different suits uh, it, it's it's so cool mm. yeah definitely I and mean, you see all those suits in in like it's a really batman way of displaying your suits yeah like totally and you know that that Spider-Man Dune buggy that will yeah <laughs> that, that that plucked a heartstring for me because I remember yeah. you know, seeing the toys as a kid, see hearing about it in the comics, and then um it, it comes up is a very big part of Spider Verse as well because Miles yeah. has his own little mission in Spider Verse to and, collect some of the uh, younger heroes, and, and he uses the Spider buggy to get them. Yeah, and you've read Old Man Logan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh man. So there Haw- you go. There's a, yeah. It comes up again. <laughs> yeah, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, and uh, Wolverine traveling across the blind Hawkeye and old yeah. Wolverine traveling across the uh, the the America in the Spider-Man buggy. Yeah. 
one thing I loved about um, the, the the Spider Cave and Aunt May is um, again going back to how they've sort of tied things together in a very efficient way. Is that um, a big part of the Miles Morales Ultimate Spider Man run um, is that Aunt May in particular, but May, Gwen Stacy, and MJ are very much there for Miles while mm. he's sort of finding himself. Um, and it doesn't take them very long to figure out that he's the new Spider-Man. Um, you know, Aunt May is very sort of, um, not dismissive, just dis- distrustful of him taking up the mantle. Gwen is outwardly hostile to him for, at the very beginning. And there's a wonderful moment. It's a huge payoff where, um, Aunt May says, I need to see this boy. And she goes around to his house with Gwen and MJ. And you have like the old guard of like Peter's, the most important people in Peter Parker's life come together and Aunt May hands him a box, opens it up and it's Peter Parker's web shooters. Yeah. So it's literally, um, the, the spider family handing the mantle to Miles. So I love that Aunt May was a big part of the movie for that in here yeah. sort of getting together with the Spider-Man. Mm. And they did it in a similar way where she had web shooters ready for him when he got down to the cave. Yeah. 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 That she crafted herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You... Oh, sorry, okay. continue. <laughs> uh, you finish your point because I was going to move on to something. <laughs> oh, so was I, so you might as well continue. <laughs> oh, um, before, I was gonna... before either of you do, um, just be, with the whole Peter B. Parker thing, um, in because, uh, when I was talking before about there being so many Spider-Men in the comic and them condensing it down, um, it runs the gamut of like really hopeful Spider-Men to like Spider-Men who murder people. And obviously, superior Spider-Man's in there as well. So, asshole Spider-Man. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like the the perfect Peter Parker that's played by Chris Pine is very very reminiscent of. Um, there's a version of Ben Riley in Spider-Verse. Who yeah. Plays a perfect Spider-Man who has never lost a battle. No one's died. He never lost Gwen Stacy. He never broke up with MJ. He's the most like he's almost like the Flash in that he's just perfectly quippy, almost annoyingly hopeful. And then Peter B. Parker sort of encapsulates all of the sort of dour side of the Spider-Man in the group. So I like that they managed to sort of condense all of that down as well. Well, it's it's the difference between the Spider-Man we were given in the 90s and how tortured and, and how... I mean, I'm not saying Ultimate Spider-Man wasn't tortured, but like how how kind of like hard Peter Parker's life was in those comics, like through from the 60s up into the 90s up into the year 2000 like in the amazing spider-man books i'm talking about mm. and and the spectacular but and then like the ultimate spider-man spider-man is this clean young version of spider-man who dies young and passes the mantle to miles which is kind of what happens in the comics as well mm. which was it's cool how they adapted that um so i think we should move on to uh villains Villain well, can designs. I, can oh, I say yeah, the thing that it. I was about to yeah. say? Say the um, thing you were about to say. Say it. <laughs> so I was going to talk about May and uh, Peter B. Parker's first meeting, like when he shoots the web into the doorbell and it rings and it's like this this brief moment of humor, and then it suddenly drops into pathos where he's like, "I'm not ready for this. Like I don't, I don't, almost don't want to see her because yeah. like he's come from a universe where he's had to bury his aunt, and she's in this universe where she's just buried her." Um, her nephew mm. and like it's this it's this beautiful and sad and like sweet moment of them like finding like fi- it's the wrong person for each of them but they both understand it because mm. they know the circumstances and like because it really informs what uh peter b parker's state of mind is because like um 
like he's constantly on the verge of giving up but never does like the whole one of the theses of this movie is like you constantly you keep getting back up and and it ties in nicely to how miles keep keeps giving him this hope keeps giving him this reason to continue because like the ultimate version of him giving up is almost that thing where he wants to be the sacrifice he wants to be the one he's like i've got nothing to live for so i might as well be the one who stays behind and pushes the button and lets everyone else get back home yeah and i love that the way it flips at the end where like like leon was saying where miles says man you got to go home you know like it's that thing where they've given each other that renewed sense of purpose like Peter B. Parker wouldn't have had that. He would have kept moping throughout his life if he hadn't been pulled into this universe and met Miles. And I think I just I thought that character arc was really well developed. Like I know I I mentioned earlier that I didn't really care for him as a like he wasn't the focus, but I think it, like Leon said, it is inexorably tied together. There is a lot going on for his character. It just wasn't the focus for me on the first time, and I didn't really feel it until you know after I'd sat down and thought about it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, is it how it all comes sort of full circle and everything else. That's really cool. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like the villain designs, <laughs> characters, <laughs> villain designs. I wanted to get onto because this is the bit I really wanted to talk about. Because there's some really really cool designs in this in this movie, and one of the biggest ones for me, one of the uh, one of my favorites. I think you mentioned before we started recording, actually, Ray, your favorite as well was uh, Olivia Octavius. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like the seeding of that character as well because it's not immediately obvious that mm. she's going to be a villain, that she's going to be, um, in essence, uh, Doctor Octopus. But in hindsight, like on second viewing, I realize there's so many hints to her being the villain. Like the first time you see her, there's there's literally an octopus arm on her on her office desk. Um, her glasses are octagons. The badge that she like is on the chair when she straps Peter to it is an octagon. And the fact that she's like a quantum physicist, <laughs> like it should be the first hint that she's going to be the villain. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I love that whole. I just loved her character design. I love the way she like her hair is all springing out. Yeah. And, like she has all those like the cool colors around her scarf and everything. It's almost reminiscent of like the the quote unquote Banksy. Art that happens when the universes collide, like all yeah. the different colors melding together. I thought there's, yeah. there's some great this... character design for her. Also, Beautiful they're like mega art, sly of her because uh, yeah. in the the bit in the class where he meets uh, like Gwen mm. and she's on screen, but like where Miles is standing, so it has her name Olivia, and there's an O, but where yeah. he's standing, you can't see the rest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're sly with Gwen as well. We had a conversation about this after the film where. If you were a teenage girl, and like, it all makes sense in hindsight, but if you were a teenage girl and some dude who keeps talking about how he's just hit puberty puts his sticky hands on your hair and then he gets stuck, you would be freaked out, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you would not give that kid the time of day ever again. But like, she's super chill about it. Like, she's, you know, quite, almost quite understanding, like, um, up until the point where they have to cut her hair off. And then after the reveal that she's, um, not just like, as we all know, she's Gwen, but she's also someone from a, different universe came here in advance of miles morales she's not this universe's gwen stacy um yeah it all makes sense in, mm. in the wrap-up yeah <laughs> and um just the the whole the whole thing about her haircut like you don't get to like my haircut <laughs> yeah, yeah i love that line I yeah love that yeah line. yeah um but like um back to olivia octavis character design like you notice like that when she puts her hair up when she gets the octopus legs out like she her head is almost octopus shaped yeah yeah and i like that her tentacles are like 
hydraulically operated instead of mechanically mm. operated like yeah uh, it's yeah that's what was... octavius's are normally yeah it's, it's all very cool what do yeah, you guys think like... of the scorpion I like the Scorpion because um, it, it's like the ultimate comic Scorpion. Because um, in the yeah. Miles Morales run, uh, Scorpion is you know is this big gangster from Mexico City who has like a scorpion hook on a chain that he uses to beat people to death, basically. So it's kind of like it took that and then kind of added a dash of Scorpion King to him from um, <laughs> the Scorpion King movie. And also the like the original Scorpion being a man trapped in a suit. Yeah, with the poison thing and everything. Yeah. So they kind of like mashed it all together, which is what we were saying before we got on spoilers about how all the characters in this seem to be a spoonful of everything mm. that that character has been throughout comics. Like, uh, I think the one character design I wasn't sold on was Kingpin because I didn't like his head being inside his body. <laughs> oh, there was a, when we were, when me, Rahul and Leon were watching it in the cinema, yeah. there was a, a guy two rows back from us where every single time Kingpin came on screen, he just burst out in fits of laughter. He just couldn't <laughs> take him seriously. <laughs> I love that they use some animation tricks with Kingpin for like him getting out of the car where clearly yeah. it's physically impossible for him to do so or like getting into the train carriage at the end. They just don't show that transition. They, they like cut to him having got out of the car because like, it just wouldn't work. How would you even fit in? How would you show him like squeezing himself in through that tiny? Door? I feel. I feel I, like there's a um, there's a, a like a, a a piece on the cutting room floor somewhere where we actually get to see that. Like I hope this so. I hope it's in the extras. Five minutes of Kingpin trying to cram himself into a box. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I I get the idea that he was supposed to be big and imposing and everything else, but like, I don't know. Like, I didn't like his head being inside his chest. <laughs> I think that just kind of like I don't, irritated me more than it should have. I don't know I why. It's kind of cool, like that whole yeah. stocky. Like it shows that he's got more. It's more power than fat, which is like yeah. a running theme with him. Yeah, yeah. Also, I thought like he was just intense and uh, like this larger than life in like every use of that phrase. Really. Yeah. Uh, so when you have that scene um, at the beginning where he kills uh, like uh, Peter. Uh, it's 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 shocking. Mm. The explosive temper just comes across really well. Mm. Um, yeah, one he, of my, he's oh, almost he's, no. I was just going to say he's like whenever he's walking around, whenever he's talking, whenever he's on screen, he almost feels like a tyrant from the Resident Evil games. Like he's <laughs> just he's pure imposition. He just yeah. his footsteps like boom the whole cinema. Everything shakes when he walks. Yeah. Like you just don't you would not want to be in a room with him. Speaking of everything shaking, uh, Leon went to see this in 4DX or whatever it is, didn't you? <laughs> I did, and I lived to tell the tale. <laughs> so, like, um, I think the way I explained this on Instagram was that um, my whole body was sore. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, but for those who have not uh, done it, 4DX or know what it is, it's basically... Uh, in the cinema, you sit on uh, a seat, which are in, like, uh, collections of four, and then the individual, like, rows of four um, it, are like being on a roller coaster. So they tilt, they move from side to side, um, and they shock. There's, like, pressure pads at, uh, on your lower back, which are more like vibration. Uh, and then there's pre pressure pads in your upper back, which are, like, being punched in the back. Um, there's uh, water jets on the seat in front. Uh, I will say there's a button to switch off water jet, 
and I cheated and switched the button off because I was wearing two sets of glasses. <laughs> I don't have to keep cleaning the 3D glasses, so I switched the water off. Um, but then in front of the screen, you get like foam and sort of snow effects uh, will come down. Um, it feels like there are just hidden fans somewhere because they're constantly being blown by fans, like big fans. And in your seat behind you, there's fans that... Um, so when in the bits like in the forest where there's like bullets uh, being shot at them or laser or whatever, as those go by, you feel like whew, whew, by your neck. Oh, nice. Uh, and um, there's scents as well, though uh, I didn't really pick up too many uh, scents because... Um, uh, I don't know, like my sense of smell isn't the strongest, but also there weren't any, like they may, might have placed burning smell during explosions, but I, I don't remember that. Well, I have a vivid memory of smelling orange, uh, orange peel at the start, at the start, and I was like, oh wow, because they, they did like a Cineworld trailer which uh, used the uh, 4DX at the beginning, hmm. uh, the latest one that has um, uh, Mary Poppins in it, uh, and I smell orange peel and I thought, oh, it's like a Christmas thing. And then I looked to my left and the guy two seats over was peeling an orange. <laughs> <laughs> Who brings an orange into the cinema? I know, right? <laughs> Who does that? It, oh. At least it's not noisy. Yeah. <laughs> I once went on a date with a girl who brought um, a Greg's bag of food into the cinema and was eating a, tun- a tuna and cucumber sandwich and a cheese and onion pasty. And needless to say, uh, there was no second. <laughs> Before the movie, like during the trailers or during the movie? During the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like that guy oh that heats up, his, heats up his like really pungent food at work. Oh, we all have. Everyone has that in there, right? Yeah, the guy, <laughs> yeah. the guy that the guy that heats tuna fish in the microwave at work. Fish and oh, vegetables. T- yeah. Tuna fish would be a blessing. It's always mackerel or something or red snapper. It's like, why are you doing this to us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got we've got someone that did it with tuna fish, and then we've like, I've been at work before, and people bring their food back to their desk where I work sometimes because breaks ain't long enough. And people like do get like full ready meals, like those like ready meals from the fridge aisle, and heat them up, then bring them back to their desk. Which I mean, it's fine, you know, it smells good, it's food. But like when you're stuck next to it and you can't do anything about it because you're stuck at your desk, and it's just, it's just, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's that unwritten rule yeah. where if you're eating it, it's the most delicious smell in the world. But if you're trapped with it, it's yeah. just. The worst experience. That's why exactly, food yeah. on pu- food on public transport should be, should be banned. People, <laughs> yeah, people yeah. Who eat hot food on trains and buses are just the scum of the earth. No. I'm happy there wasn't any 40x smells during any of the train or bus scenes. Because <laughs> that would have been gross. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing they did, which uh, I think is the worst effect of uh, 40x, is that during like flashes, like explosions, they like flash lights in the cinema. But as I was saying to uh, Rahul and Marv yesterday. Um, it that's that is the worst effect because that's the one that takes you out of the film mostly because after a while when you've been shaken around gently or roughly you're just like this is the film now this is life <laughs> I, I, I feel what I see in here but then when it flashes you see that you're in a cinema scene yeah. with people and it's kind of like Ugh. so there you go that's what it's like to be beaten up by a chair well. <laughs> like there's different ways how it works so at the beginning as the score's playing and you know it's doing the um. It's doing the titles of all the different companies like uh, Columbia and Sony and Marvel, but they're, they're like glitching because it's all the different uh, verses. So like there's different versions of uh, 
uh, the Columbia one, which are some are real and some are like not. So that there's like a cow, uh, cowboy lady one where she's shooting off guns, which is quite mm-hmm. cool. And as it's flashing between those, the the, the chair isn't going like like the sounds are. Instead, it's like winding you back and upwards in 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 a cool motion. It's like prepping you for a film that's about to begin, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Some um, of those action scenes, though, honestly, yeah. like especially the last one. I was in pain because you're getting ro- you're going around in circles and getting rocked around as much as Spider-Man is, and I'm like, please stop, please <laughs> just talk this out. <laughs> it's like um, it, it sounds like those rides that you go to. You know when um, they were a thing like years ago. Like the last time I went to a theme park, you go in and sit in a cinema screen, and the chairs yeah. make you about and everything else. And it's like a like a, there's like a mine shaft one that I went on, like an Indiana Jones one. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, something like I'd say the best version of this is obviously Star Tours at Disney. Um, but um, I think 4DX is definitely something worth trying, but never as the first way to experience a film. But but I'm happy I did it. But I'm also happy I did it with a Cineworld card where it didn't cost me like twenty five quid or whatever it cost. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I don't think I'll be doing four. There's, well, there's no four, no place to do four DX in Leicester, as far as I'm aware at the moment, anyway. But yeah, um, it, it just sounds like it, it would just take me out of the film. But I mean, when they hone it a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not such brute force. Won't be an early adapter of four DX, I don't think. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, just. I mean, like, you, you, you come onto the action scenes for this film and everything else. Just the whole thing just comes together seamlessly, and especially the animation through that. And, and the, um, because we were, t- before we got, we were talking about villain character designs, like the way they've done the Green Goblin in this, mm. which is kind of like an amalgam of Ultimate Green Goblin and Gargoyles. Because <laughs> he does, he just looks like a big old Green Gargoyle, and I, I want to call him the Green Gargoyle instead of the Green Goblin, but I, I love it. I do love that. And it just, yeah, it's just overall, it's just such a, such a, a great film and such a great celebration of everything that is and has been Spider-Man and everything that will be Spider-Man going forward. I just, I just loved every second of it. And yeah, I, I will be buying this when it comes out on Blu-ray, I think. Mm. I wish I had time to catch it a second time actually before we did this podcast, but yeah. Same, same. And, um, I go, I guess we can't, can't leave off and close out without mentioning the Spider-Man 2099 bit at the very end end. Oh, that was glorious. Yeah. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, because he's like the one sort of version of Spider-Man, like that you thought might've turned up in the film that didn't turn up in the film. Mm. And then like at the very end, they sort of show his bit, but he ends up getting stuck in the Spider-Man cartoon series. Like the I do, Spider-Man I do like the the juxtap- juxtaposition of it because it's like Spider-Man 2099, which you know, apart from like going way way deep into the lore and thinking about things that happen afterwards, it's like that's kind of like the uh, the 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 last version of Spider-Man time-wise. Yeah. And then he goes he goes back to like the first screen version of Spider-Man that people would remember, the 67 cartoon. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, and he's like literally says, "Where are you going to go, Miguel? Back to the beginning." and it's it's really cool how it's done as well because you have like um the uh his ai uh assistant um is it lila i can't remember her name but like she's like glitching around and she kind of looks like robot chicken-esque 
like claymation hmm. and uh, she's zipping around and she's dressed or like in white and uh, with glasses and stuff and then it's like it's oscar isaac isn't it who's who's uh who's miguel oh. I, I believe in the movie yeah hmm. and then like as the camera's sort of moving towards as she's zipping around and then he's there and it, it's done so well that like in the both showings that i saw there were applause when uh we started to get the spider-man pointy meme hmm. part like uh it, it was it's definitely a crowd pleaser I, I love the fact that they use that meme format. It was so so good. <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool that they kind of like they got that meme in there and everything. And yeah, I just I, I just loved it. And I think that's the overall message of this podcast that we really well, enjoyed this film. Can <laughs> I rattle off some character moments that we haven't discussed quickly? Yeah, before go ahead, we, go ahead. We, so one of the things right at the start of the film when Miles's dad is talking to him in the police car and he's trying to relate to him by being cynical, like mocking the coffee shop that's been opened up. I forgot what it's called, like foam party or something. It is yeah. Yeah. Foam later, party, yeah, yeah. Later on gets destroyed like halfway through the film. Um, but like, he, like Miles accuses his dad of being old, like, cause he's not like his uncle Aaron, who's like the cool guy. And we haven't talked about the Prowler Aaron reveal either. But, no, like, no. I love that the end of the film shows that what Miles really needs is for his dad to relate to him through love and not cynicism, which comes across really nicely because he's like, I love you, officer. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, while he's still dressed as Spidey. Yeah. Um, and in that same conversation at the start in the car, he's like, Miles claiming that he, to, to go to this prestigious school that he's been transferred to, because we see this scene of him, like, walking past his old school and all his old friends and going to this posh new school where... Um, he claims that he basically won the lottery and his dad reacts quite strongly that, no, you earned your place at that school, you know, and this is quite multi-layered because like not only in a real world sense of, you know, people having their, the worth of their positions questioned, you know, in like um, ongoing affirmative action discussions, but also like contrast nicely with him growing into his spidey powers. Cause like the final thesis of the film, I think, cause it's the final lines of the movie is anyone can wear the mask. You can wear the mask. We didn't know this before, but we know this now. I love that those two conversations tie in really nicely with each other. I don't know if any of you guys have thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because I was going to bring up a couple of bits before we uh, close out, but that was going to be one of them, because I've got that. That's one no one note that has its own line um, of things that I, I put down after the uh, the, 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 the movie. Hmm. It was literally, anyone can wear the mask, anyone. And it's so multi-layered, because everything that you said is things that I thought as well, but it also, uh, sort of on a meta level, speaks to some of the backlash that Miles Morales got when he was introduced, when people were like, mm. Peter Parker can be the only Spider-Man. I can't believe you've killed him. Who is this new kid? And it's like, anyone can wear the mask. You know, it's, it's the message that's behind it. It's the stories mm. that are told. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, and like to go on to the, like to, to just sort of like, um, briefly talk about the reveal of his uncle being the prowler. Mm. Um, I thought that was really nicely handled. And mm. I like that, you know, he's this like cool uncle character at the start of the film that like, he goes to his uncle to get away from his dad. And like mm. his uncle's like, you know, letting him spray paint walls and stuff like that. And, uh, but I, I, I quite, I quite like that. And I like how, um, I like how they worked that in. Like again, from the actual, what I know about Mars Morales and, mm how it all works in the comics and and this is like a cleaner version of it kind of thing hmm. a, a much and everything else yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say like it, it's uh it's 
it's really layered, a lot of that stuff. Uh, mm. uh, what I like about it, it's not like, like Aaron, uh, uh, Davis, he could be such, there's so like, weak ways to write that character as like the bad uncle type thing. He's kind of cool, but, mm. uh, and who has their last minute thing, but instead there, there's so much, um, weaved into not uh like weaved into their stories and the characters so like one of the one of the themes throughout the movie uh is father figures mm. but instead of it being a daddy issues uh thing which is what you'll often get with this and i mean kind of original spider-man deals with this because his parents uh, were killed uh, and what's kind of uh like nice for me personally um is that uh you're dealing with like a, a, a character who's Afro-Latina, um, hmm. but instead of like the the tropes and stereotypes of like a missing father or whatever, and instead of like the original um, Spider-Man who doesn't have his parents, instead uh, this character not only has his his, his dad around and and his mum around, but uh, he also has an abundance of like father figure type characters because you you have like uh, his uncle. Uh, and you also have, um, like, uh, Peter as well. Uh, basically both, both Spider-Mans, because, uh, mm. the, mm. uh, blonde Spider-Man for a short while. And all of that stuff is handled really well because the, the, some of the stuff that really, like, uh, impacted me is, um, his relationship with his dad, Jefferson, and, like, the way that, that, it, the way they, uh, go back and forth, but in a non-cliche way. There's a lot of, um, like silence and it's like um intended silence of like mm. not returning calls and not answering messages but then there's like uh like accidental or like uh un uh out, out of out of his control silence like when he's in the room of the web on his mouth and his dad comes up and like just that alone like in the short amount of time they introduce us to these characters and they make us care about people's um relationships so like when uh aaron is like shot by the kingpin that is like boom, and that, that's the second father figure character who's been murdered in in this movie uh, yeah. by the by the kingpin as well. Yeah, so it's like that is like a proper like shut uh, like like stab in there, and then you have uh, his dying moments with Miles, and mm. then you get after that, not even that long after, uh, when uh, his dad is there and finds him with the body and thinks he did it, and then Spider Man uh, Miles goes invisible, obviously, to end that scene. But then he's there with his brother and connecting that to the scene where he's outside the room and he, and he's just like, um, cause we know from their thing where they've been estranged and he's like, mm. you can feel that weighing of, of like, uh, I, I can feel this like distance opening between us. And it's like, you, you don't have all the time in the world to fix these things. Like you lose so much by just letting these things fester. Um, and like distance like this, um, uh, it's just, it, it's it's not it's not gonna work and like as you guys said like that the mess the message they like for me it's it's really nice and emotive to see like a black dad tell his black son like I love you multiple times during the movie mm-hmm. and that just be like a solid thing running through the spine of the movie I I just thought like uh, like yeah stuff like that really got me um, because even like Kingpin's character has a father issue thing because the reason his family are dead and the the point of the movie and the super collider is because his actions as a bad father husband uh drove his his family to die uh mm. uh like led to the accident that killed them so it's like i think 
on on all these various factors, like obviously Peter B. Parker not wanting to have kids and then being like uh, the mentors we've spoken about before. Like I think all of those themes just work hand in hand with each other to create this uh, cohesive theme that just uh, is is like the, the the veins that run run through the through the movie. So I've, I think all of that stuff. I don't know. It like it, it adds um, it adds like a, a layer. I, I think a lot a lot of criticisms you could have at these type of films like animated films for like the family is that they have these over overarching uh uh themes like families are good and look out for each other and mm. recycle whatever but this one it has those things but it's also dealing on some deeper levels for each of these different characters because there's just little weird moments of like pathos that happen during the movie like or like just fun like noticing stuff that you generally would I know you don't really get in movies like this. So like, uh, when Miles is in the spider cave and he's, he finds the, the suit that's got a cape and he's like, mm. Hey, Peter, this one's got a cape. And then Peter looks at him and he, he has that sort of like, eh, yeah, I guess you're right, kid. But then it shows, uh, Gwen and Gwen has this look of like she's noticing the bonding between them. And that's just such a tiny moment, but mm. and it just works so well to, to, to push forward the themes and uh, the, the real character moments in the story. And I just like, there's so many little moments of like during, during this movie that like, some are like quick lines said by characters as a joke or something that means so much more. Yeah. A lot of it's mm. like un, unwritten knowing of the characters. You can tell that they really understand the characters well. Cause like in the moment you just mentioned with the Cape and like, the reason like Gwen can be smiling is like for multiple reasons. Cause one, she's noticing the bond Two, She, you know, she has a different relationship to Peter yeah. than Miles did. Like there's all these different layerings. I, I think it's, it's a credit to the writers for, because they, I think it shows a different level of understanding when you can not write something into the scene, but it expresses that they yeah. knew and cared about it just in the yeah. way things yeah. interact. Um, I want to go back to one quick point about the Prowler because I had I had an amazing whiplash moment the first time I saw this movie where like it's a, I think it's ten minutes in between scenes because like you get the reveal where the Prowler takes off his mask and you get this amazing like he delivers this line to Kingpin over the phone he's like you know me sir I don't ever quit and then there's like a beat and then the music sting comes in and that's really effective and gets your like heart pounding and Miles is running away from the situation. And then you have a you have the fight in Aunt May's house, and then you get to the moment where Prowler catches Miles at the, on on the roof, and he's holding him by the neck, and Miles pulls his mask off, and you can see the like this flood of reaction happening on Aaron's face, and then you get this moment where he starts pulling Miles's mask back on while he still has his hand on his throat, and I was like, oh shit, is he actually gonna is he pulling his mask on so he doesn't have to deal with the fact that he's about yeah. to kill his nephew? Yeah. But then he doesn't. He pulls it back, and then Kingpin shoots Aaron in the back. Like I think that layering was just it had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. That was a great moment. Like, all um, moments. Yeah. Just wanted to bring up a little bit of, um, like movie trivia type stuff you know donald glover's character in spider-man homecoming yeah that's aaron davis yeah yeah, yeah he yeah, even yeah. mentioned yeah. he mentions he has a nephew who lives in the area yeah, yeah. yeah. and there's a deleted Did... scene um at the uh like a deleted post credit credit scene where he's trying to get the keys using keys to try and get the webbing off his hand yeah and then he rings his nephew <laughs> saying yeah. he's gonna miss an event so also um appearing in that scene is herman schultz the shocker Hmm. He's that's yeah. who he's selling stuff to. 
Yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Did any of you catch the Donald Glover reference in this movie, in Into the Spider-Verse? Yes. Uh, yeah, because uh, I think me and Leon talked about this the other day, but there's a... On one of the TV screens in Aaron's apartment is, like, the introduction... I think the intro to Community Season 2, where you see... Like all of the, the the Spanish class, Spanish study group, um, getting out of bed in the morning, and it's this one clip of Donald Glover waking up from bed wearing his Spider-Man pajamas, and you kind of get a brief flash of it in this movie. I thought that was that was one of my favorite references. In this yeah, movie. in like yeah, in in yeah. Aaron's apartment, which is apt. And for for audience members who don't know, like as well, like part of the creation of uh, Miles Morales by. Uh, 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 Bendis and uh, Pacelli is that, um, and I guess the people like Axel Alonso, at, like uh, Marvel, is um, part like the uh, inauguration of Obama, but also the Donald for Spider-Man campaign uh, in the run-up to uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, uh, the first movie, where um, he was campaigning to be able to get an audition for that role. And I think there was a, a, a quite a big like internet uh, like groundswell with that. That um, it's it's kind of nice to see it go full circle. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that was cool. Did anyone else have like favorite references throughout this movie apart from that one? Uh, no? Well, there's, there's no, there's there's just so many that hit home so well that it's hard to choose yeah. one. <laughs> it's it's yeah. difficult. Yeah, because there's so many. Because there's like easter egg stuff which is awesome there's all the like cool posters like um mm. uh from death to sean and like the the chance the rapper with the four instead of the three yeah. um and and there there's even like uh just little things like um with the the flashbacks of peter and like a lot of it is from the Sam Raimi movies as well as some of the amazing spider-man movies like just mm. those little bits and like ref- Having a very knowing eye to like the 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 dance which everyone hates and stuff like that. Like, there's loads of little things like that. The the forty two numbering everywhere. Yes, uh, that was one of my favorite things. Like, yeah, yeah I, like it's hard to uh, pinpoint one because there's so many good and there's so there's many that um, that have missed as well mm. that I definitely know uh, I've not seen. Yeah, I'm sure mm. there are because it's, it's a, a movie ripe for having loads of background detail. Has anybody? Um, oh. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say an, another thing which doesn't fall into like the Easter egg one, but like just the sort of like it being Brooklyn and when we first introduced mm-hmm. to uh, Aaron Davis, like as as Miles is running from it, the Visions Academy there, and they play like uh, uh, Biggie hypnotized, uh, yeah, yeah. and yeah. It, it just it like uh, it just fits so much. Mm. Yeah. So, are we? Has anybody got anything else left to say? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said it first. <laughs> uh, I'll just say uh, I'll run through a, f- a few things like I did on Sabrina. Um, I thought this movie handled out of the city stuff better than Homecoming because. Uh, listeners might not know, but one of my criticisms of Homecoming is that I know part of the film, the point point of it was to get, to be different and get Peter out of New York. But part of that really annoyed me because like for me, the web slinging is a big part of it. And we don't really get a, a like big web slinging scenes with, uh, with Peter in, in, in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this movie, they go out to Alchemax and they take a bus there. <laughs> but like 
because it's a forest and there's the trees outside, we still get like really intense um, web sling to the level of Peter teaching Miles how to web sling. So I, I, I really love that. Um, the like we mentioned before, the upside down shot of uh, Miles falling up into Manhattan. Just mm. it, like I've loved that since the first trailer, but it, it still worked on me both times seeing it in the movie. Uh, and it's not just because of like the music that's playing and the swell or the, or the time it is. And we get that quick cami- uh, montage of him making the suit and, and Aunt May and everything. But it's also the framing of it. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautifully rendered scene, but it's also, it's him rising up um, as he descends into the city that he is going to protect. Like there's just so many things, so many levels for me of like all of that falling into place um, that uh, it, I just love it. Um uh, the uh, there's many many moments uh, in this movie that uh, threaten to destroy me. Um, I like uh, uh, Jefferson talking to Miles through the door. Is oh that that got uh, that that gets me. Uh, uh, and just like the Stanley cameo that especially now uh, that got me the the quotes at the end of the movie and shout out to to Stanley and Ditko at the end that. That got me, but like one of the ones that scenes that most got me is watching everybody in New York look at their phones and find out that Peter Parker was Spider Man mm. and died. Oh, that man. just talking yeah. about that now messes me up in a big way. Like yeah. it's uh like part of that so like this is a deep cut to Buffy and it's not <laughs> quite as dramatic, but in Buffy, uh, at the end of season three, as uh, oh, the character's man. about to transition from high school to college, one of the conceits of the show is that there's like demons and vampires running around the city and, and people don't really notice. And they have a scene where it's like homecoming or something or prom. And they give her the school, they, uh, like her classmate, they give her an award at, at prom or whatever. It's a class protector. Yeah. Class protector. And in that moment, it's like, Oh, not only are we all aware that Sunnydale is weird and has demons and stuff like that. It was like, we know you've been there saving us this whole time. And like mm. that stuff like that, where you sort of, pull that thing into the focus gets you and in that moment where everyone's noticing that Peter Parker died it's like yeah this is a Peter Parker I've known for five minutes uh, Chris Pine uh, Peter Parker but also it's a Peter Parker I've known my whole life and he's been around for decades and it's uh it's so brutal and leading up to like the church scene and uh it's so brutal mm. yeah I agree and I think that's it does that wrap us up uh, I have a favourite line. He took a bagel, and then somebody throws a bagel, and there's a little tiny bagel impact sound. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and also, That's it's comics. This whole, this whole film is comics code approved. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, Aunt May's sofas are covered in plastic. That's yes. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, that that is part of an amazing sequence, as like. Mm the face has been destroyed around her and she's sort of looking at it uh, Brady Bunch style looking at the different boxes <laughs> and like takes a baseball bat to a tombstone yeah <laughs> yeah I like I said, that take it outside <laughs> so I guess that wraps us up for Spider-Verse um and I guess we should probably rattle through our pull lists shouldn't we Ray can do yeah go ahead yeah so um this is going to be the uh, pull lists for the things coming out up until the new year. So, because after this episode, it's Christmas, and then we're going into new year, we're going to 2019, and we're going to be, um, we're going to run through a couple of things that are coming out 
for the end of this year and then there's a few things to look forward to from 2019 from the first comic day of 2019 so for me um i've got teenage mutant ninja turtles number 89 which is going to be a christmas themed one which comes out on the 19th of uh, december american carnage number two is on the 19th of december seasons beatings which is a marvel christmas special comes out on the uh, 19th of december so that's going to be kind of cool and uh there's uh we reviewed a klaus comic last time didn't we last christmas but klaus and the crying snowman is coming out on the 19th of december as well which is going to be a seasonal comic uh similar to the klaus comic that we or, or sort of like a continuation of the klaus story if you like a klaus the, the boom the klaus boom comic that we read last year um into uh ray what have you got for the 19th I've only got comics for the 19th, so uh, there's actually a Firefly issue number two coming out on the 19th. I didn't realise there was a new run of Firefly, uh, as in the Joss Whedon um, Serenity Firefly by Boom Studios. And it's written by Greg Pak, who I really like from Met Cadet U, so I'm going to be picking up one and two of that. Uh, Life is Strange number two is coming out on the 19th. Uh, These Savage Shores number three. And also the Multiple Man trade paperback. I think we discussed the, the yes. ongoing series at some point in the past and yeah, that, yeah that's coming out in, in book form so. surprise it's done now there's five of them <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um into the new year so 2nd of january which is like the first comic free a new comic day of the new year the two things i picked out were wolverine the long night number one which looks to be the beginning of a new wolverine miniseries and we also have teenage mutant ninja turtles 2020 uh so this is like 20 years into the future so it's like the current turtles room but 20 years into the future the utron civil war rages across earth the utron are the race that krang belongs to um and there's a backup technodrome threatens hundreds of millions of innocent lives and it's up to the turtles to do what they do best and save the world and it's to celebrate 20 years of idw with the turtles so i'm looking forward to that and uh this wolverine book yeah it's a it's a wolverine mini series if uh where he's in alaska and it just looks very grizzled and very very grim very very wolverine with the harsh weather conditions and everything else you know so yeah that looks pretty cool um anybody else got anything they want to tell us that's coming out or coming up um did you have anything leon before i uh, dive into a couple of little bits and bobs uh, no, no, I've still got uh, comics to discuss that I've read on the episode that I missed, so go ahead. Um, okay, well, the first things that I will um, talk about is, is recommendations uh, based on what I've read, um, which would be Spider-Man War, the uh, Miles Morales Ultimate Comic Spider-Man run, and the Spider-Man, uh, sorry, Spider-Verse trade paperback. Um, definitely, definitely recommend reading Spider-Man Noir. It's a brilliant book, um, if I remember correctly. It's five uh, five parts, five issue run, so not too long. Um, and it's just so, so beautifully done, because it's obviously been a noir story. It's got a sort of a gritty atmosphere, a 1930s crime aesthetic. It kind of, um, the city feels like Gotham a lot of the time. Um, the story starts you off in media res and then sort of uh, takes you back through how you got there. Um, and the way that they've reimagined the characters is wonderful. Um, Aunt May is um, sort of a socialist campaigner for sort of social justice and um, sort of the rights of the people. Um, you know, Felicia Hardy, she runs a speakeasy that's called the Black Cat. Um, you know, Norman Osborn is a crime boss that everyone calls the Goblin. 
Um, you know, it's, it's just brilliant what they've done with the characters. And, um, I really love the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would obviously recommend the, uh, Miles Morales Ultimate Comic Spider-Man run as well. Um, brilliant run, uh, very, very colorful, rich colors. Um, it feels like it's a storyboard. It feels like you're watching a cartoon or watching a movie. Um, and there's lots of little touches in the comic that I'm glad that they got into the movie as well. So things like, um, when Miles gets his powers in into the Spider-Verse and um, his thoughts come up on screen as sort of thought bubbles. Um, that's that's from the comic because the, the, I think the first issue or so before he gets bitten by the spider, you know, everything's done through speech. So you have normal speech bubbles. But then the second that he wakes up after being bitten by the spider and having his changes, he starts having internal monologue and he's kind of wondering why his thoughts are sort of rejiggered and it's it's almost like a little meta nod to like you're a comic book character now um it does a lot of things really really well um the one that i would recommend the least but still recommend would be spider-verse um it's it's a big book and it's it gets real silly sometimes but it has to be that silly to get that many spider people into the book and it's you know it's everyone you know you've got jessica drew you've got ben riley you've got kane parker you've got um uh, penny parker you've got just everyone you've got spider-man india who is a really interesting character um you've got like the japanese contingent so you've got like the uh, 70s japanese spider-man program um he's there with his um his uh, super sentai robot leopardin um brilliant brilliant stuff um yeah so I, i'd recommend all of those but again spider-man noir would probably be my top recommendation um and awesome. then there's there's books that i would recommend as well um which i've been dying to talk about from catching up with the podcast the main one um is a book called futuristic violence and fancy suits uh written by uh, an, uh, an author named david wong and um it relates to um a phrase that leon has used uh, multiple times when talking about things like a uh, number one with a bullet and crowded um technology 10 minutes into the future so i know when you guys were talking about the uh, the technology with the contact lenses that are sort of almost like wired to the internet and used for surveillance and that it's you know sony's got a pattern and it could be a real thing very soon they have a similar thing where there's like a more successful version of google glass where everyone's got these like big gold hipster glasses the kind of old 80s style glasses but they've come back into fashion but every one of them has like this little blue light in the corner that tells you it's recording and um everything's uploaded so that it's everyone's live streaming all the time and the way that news works in that um universe is that it automatically just kind of tunes in to what is the most talked about thing so like the basis of the story i'm not going to go into a huge long thing but it's um this um this woman named zoe who owns a, a cat that she calls stench machine because it never stops smelling um she lives a really normal life she's got a self-driving car and she lives in this futuristic world but she, you know she has takeaway she never washes her dishes blah 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 um and all of a sudden she's swept into this like whirlwind adventure where these guys in these really really um fancy suits um are all sort of trying to get to her because she her dad, who she's estranged from, was like this multimillionaire. He could or could not have been part of a massive crime syndicate. And uh, he's died recently and left everything to her, basically. And um, the, the way to get into his vault is is somehow tied to her. So there's all these like bounty hunters after her. There's people from his company, the, um, the suit wearers that are trying to protect her. And it's just this whirlwind adventure. But it's just really, really well done in terms of that sort of theme of 
technology that could possibly exist tomorrow. I really, really enjoy the book. Nice. Um, I, I can't talk about books without um, plugging a book that was written by a friend of ours, a book called Lunaria uh, by our good friend Matt Clark. Um, you can find him as M. A. Clark um, on uh, Amazon for Kindle, um, Amazon for the for the actual uh, hard copy of the book. Uh, brilliant little story, wonderful fantasy adventure. I won't go too much into it, but it's um, it's it's not a long book. It's a very very good read. So that those would be my recommendations. I'd say. Cool. And I think that closes us out for this epically long episode. <laughs> so um, you can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Castro. If you want to listen to us, uh, you can find us. You can find me on Twitter under at Bato. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monkey. So that's M O O N K E H. Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. And Marv, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter um, at, at Marvin Lafayette, uh, but I don't post on Twitter very often, so you'd probably be better um, looking for me on Instagram, where I am Marv Lafayette 84 Cool. And uh, you can get in touch with us via Twitter, either in DMs. Uh, if you ask us a question, we'll answer it. Um, you can also get in touch with us via the Ace Comicals email address, which is acecomicals at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals as well. Uh, that has been Ace Comicals episode number 51. That is Ace Comicals over and out.